Well, good morning. It is a Monday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. I'm Glenn. He's Griffin. Uh, Grant, we don't have a nickname for yet. We'll think about that. Grant is back uh, sitting in with us again today, and we might give him his first shot at uh, his own segment later on in the show. See how things go this morning. Pleasant weekend. Just your, uh, you know, good old-fashioned win a series in which you got outscored by 10 runs weekend. It happens. All, it's the tale as old as time. Beauty and the Beast, the whole thing. It's the City Connect jerseys. I mean, I've said for some time that I think they should just burn them and never wear them again. But, you know, they do what they want to do. Nothing that we can do about that. Um, we got a lot to do on the program today. Coming up this morning, Ryan O'Hearn is going to join us. Looking forward to chatting with Ryan. He has obviously been a revelation for the Baltimore Orioles this season. What a story. We will chat with him about uh, his unlikely path to breaking through here with the Baltimore Orioles this season. Also, Spencer Horowitz, Baltimore native, St. Paul's alum, just about a week ago, he made his MLB debut with the Blue Jays. We'll chat with him about that. He did get sent back down, so that's kind of a bummer, but still pretty amazing. So we will chat with him about getting up to the bigs and obviously how excited he'll be to get back to the bigs. And then also this morning, of course, it's Monday, so we will check in with Jeremy Kahn, as we do every Monday here on GCR. We were hoping to uh, do a little uh, red segment because, you know, it's a big, sexy week. The only thing I would say is it is not a certainty that they're going to be playing baseball tonight in Baltimore. Uh, if you have not looked at the weather, uh, it, it's not just that it don't look good. It looks like apocalyptic. And I am uh, I'm not sure. If you got tickets for tonight, you might want might want to have other plans. It, it don't look great. There is a likely risk of severe weather, wind tornadoes and hail. Are all possible. Wind, tornadoes, and hail. Not great. Not ideal for trying to get a baseball game in. But, um, yeah, I guess. Okay. I mean, when do we, when's Horowitz 10.55? Yes. He needs to do that? Is that the situation? Uh, I, might be, uh, I mean, what? I, I, could, I might be able to move him around. What? Yeah. No, I'm, no, I'm saying Jeremy needs to go at 10.30? Oh, no, 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 for something else, if we wanted to fit something else in. Oh, is it something that's worth doing that for? I think so, yeah. Oh, for God's sakes. All right, whatever. Whatever. This is very coded. Yeah. This is extraordinarily... Like, Griffin just asked me if we could talk to Jeremy at 10.30. I'm like, I guess. You know, like, is, is that what he needs to... Has he got another dentist appointment or something? Griffin's like, no, it's like some other thing. And I, I just don't know. I don't know what any of that means. But sure, fine. We'll talk to Jeremy at 1030. And then we'll run everybody off because I don't even know what I was planning on talking to Jeremy about today, if I'm being totally honest with you. We can talk about tornadoes and hail. That's what we'll talk about, which apparently are coming to the Baltimore area later today. And uh, doesn't, uh, which is funny because you look outside and you're like, man, what a day. This is beautiful. This is everything we could ask for. And then you look at the radar and you say, oh, no. That looks like hell. That looks apocalyptic. Uh, apparently, it all is supposed to start somewhere around 5 o'clock. And on the, the weather.com, like hourly forecast, it has a red exclamation mark, which suggests, I, I guess that's supposed the to be the, the end of the world. Yeah, right? That's what it's supposed to be warning us about. But they got thunderstorms all throughout the evening, so... 
Not a great sign for trying to get this series underway, which would be a shame because this is a sexy little series that's opening up here in Baltimore this week. And um, I made the comparison. Like, this is the one for the for the hipsters. Like, whereas Orioles-Angels was the midweek series that got all of the casuals excited earlier this year because, you know, you had Shohei Otani and you had Mike Trout and you got these huge crowds for Orioles-Angels. And ultimately, the Angels are a little bit better than they typically are um, because they're typically mid as hell. And they're a little bit more than mid this season, although they are. I don't know if you noticed. They've lost like four of their last five. They're starting to flirt with being mid again. Um, this is the one for the hipsters. This is the one for baseball fans. This is Jonathan India and Ellie De La Cruz and McLean and that just exciting core they put together in Cincinnati. And I know they've lost back-to-back games. They still won 12 of their last 14 and by the way, both the back-to-back losses were like seven to six. I think they were both exactly seven to six over the weekend. So this is sexy. This is exciting, and it would be a shame if it doesn't get underway tonight. But it does not look great for the chances of that. With that said, it did end up being a hell of a weekend for the Orioles. And again, it's weird. It's weird to lose the run differential of a series by ten, and yet win two out of three in the series, but you'll take, actually it was by nine, right? Because they won by two on Saturday. So they they lost by 12, one by two, one by one. So yes, a, a, a minus nine run differential for the weekend, and yet they win two out of three. Um, you know, so many storylines from the course of the weekend. Obviously, Kyle Bradish was great yesterday. Anthony Santander is red hot. I mean, absolutely scorching hot of late. And mixed in not just at the plate, but obviously a hell of a catch yesterday, which reminds you, why exactly is he coming out defensively in late-inning situations? It's funny, we were talking about this on the radio show yesterday, that the, the Ryan McKenna thing... Everybody just wants him to be a bad outfielder, so in but their head they kind of make up... But he's not. Right, like, exactly. pretend like he's some sort of butcher in the outfield. He's got one of the strongest I, arms and... I, it's... If if that had gone the other way on Saturday, if the Orioles had lost that game in extra innings and Ryan McKenna, McKenna had struck out when Anthony Santander's spot would have been due up, we would have had a serious come to Jesus about this thought process. Instead, when I mentioned it after the game, I got back a lot of, well, it's just sort of what they do, but that doesn't make it defensible. In a one-run game, it's puzzling to me. If... Felix Batista is going to be beat, it's most likely going to be exactly what happened on Saturday. It's that one pitch, they guess right, and they turn it around. The likelihood of somebody putting an inning together against Felix Batista is slim to none. You just don't see station to station against Batista. Now, you can make a joke about you know his delivery and how if he does put a runner on base, that runner might as well go ahead and move to second before... I get it. Like, he's not good at keeping runners on base if he gets them on base. The good news is he doesn't put a lot of runners on base, so it's not really a problem. But I don't remember who it was in the ninth inning yesterday that got the hit, but you were like, Ty France. You might as well go ahead and just. And nobody's even going to. Ben Boom didn't even bother throwing down because his delivery takes so long that it gives the runner a huge advantage in trying to get the second. That, That all being said. I don't know why it makes all this sense. And it feels more like Brandon Hyde's philosophy of if somebody's going to be on the team, I have to put them in the game. And Ryan McKenna, we know, is a quality defensive outfielder, so late in the game, I want to get him in. But in a one-run game, 
I don't think the trade-off is worth it. I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze. I don't think McKenna is giving you so drastically more in the outfield to make up for what you would lose if exactly what happened on Saturday happened. But, of course, then we get Orioles magic on Saturday in the 10th inning. And that's the story of Orioles magic, right? It's that every night it's a different star. It's right there in the lyrics. It's right there in the lyrics. A different star? Yes. What? Well, McKenna's a star. Well, that night he was, 100%. You hit a walk-off two-run homer, you're the star, dog. That's the way that it works. So he, Every he, night he, it's a – this is just you trying to t- tap in. So he in. bought himself four more weeks, I guess? So. That's the, the – everybody was doing that bit. I, I don't know how this is going to look this week. You know, that's, of course, the next storyline is that Jordan Westberg is going to make his debut, and so there's going to have to be a corresponding move. It's so much bigger than that. Whatever the corresponding move is, it can be McKenna, it could be Joey Ortiz. I think at the moment it's more likely to be Ortiz than it is to be McKenna um, because of where we think Westberg's going to be playing as he comes up. It just makes it less likely that there are bats to be had for Joey Ortiz, so I think he's the guy to go. Uh, but Mountcastle, we assume, is back later this week, although he remains hitless in his rehab stint. At AAA, four games, zero uh, hits. But we assume he's back later this week. I also am writing about Ryan Mount- Mountcastle today at PressBoxOnline.com and sort of the questionable... An obituary? Is it? Not an obituary, oh, okay. just the all of the stuff surrounding Ryan Mountcastle. Like, that what we're really feeling is kind of a come to Jesus about what his role is within the grand scheme of this rebuild. And while... He's probably not as bad as what we saw before he sat down with the vertigo. He needed to improve in those areas. Like, what he had done so far as an on-base guy wasn't good enough. He needed to be better in that department this year, and instead it's been a legitimate regression. So what does that mean? I don't think the Orioles are ready to do something drastic. They have largely avoided particular drama when it comes to, you know, anybody, the only dramatic things they've done so far in the Elias regime would be giving up on um you know Chris Davis and and trying to work something out with him and then ultimately trading away Trey Mancini but even that you know as dramatic as it felt we kind of saw it coming I don't think they're ready to do something dramatic with Ryan Mountcastle and I also don't think it's warranted we can't talk about Ryan Mountcastle like he's again late career Chris Davis Yes, it's been a disappointing stretch, but let's not pretend like this has been the story for three years or something like that. He's a productive player who's two years removed from a 30-plus home run season. I'm writing about it at PressBoxOnline.com, and that's sort of the point, that if it's Ortiz today, it's going to have to be somebody else when Ryan Mountcastle returns. And then there's the Colton Kowser thing that still lingers, and you would still think at some point he's going to be on this team. And then what are you doing with all of these pieces? The real question about Westberg is not what the roster move is, because the roster move will not be all that dramatic. Nobody is going to scream if Joey Ortiz gets sent back down. Nobody's really going to scream if it's Ryan McKenna, despite the fact that he had an exciting moment on, on Saturday night. But the question is... What's he doing? Because he's not here to... You're not calling up Jordan Westberg to not play him. He's coming up to play. Where? Is it going to be second base? I guess We don't know. That's, yeah. the, that's the what I'm saying. We don't know. Is he here to be a shortstop? 
Is he here to try to play third and let Gunner play short? Is he here to play second? Any of these scenarios involve someone who has been a regular player no longer being a regular player. There is drama involved with this. If he's the second baseman, that's an $8 million guy that you're now saying is no longer an everyday player, which I'm not telling you you shouldn't do because we've all seen the same thing with Adam Frazier. I do think Adam Frazier has some value to this team as a veteran, as a guy that has come up big in important situations. I'm not trying to be disrespectful towards Adam Frazier, but I get it. He is not producing at a level in which I would be bothered by having Jordan Westberg take over every day at bats. Is it short? Are they finally reaching? It would be ironic, given that Jorge Mateo is you know, coming off. Oh, I, it's I, hot. I yeah. saw some numbers about like the probability. God, I wish I could remember who. One of the Orioles beat writers sent out a tweet diving into the probability of the walk that Jorge Mateo took yesterday. Because it's not just that he never walks, but I don't even remember who the pitcher was. Apparently never walks anyone either. So the idea of him getting a walk against that pitcher, I wish you could scour it if you okay. can find it. One of the beat writers, and I just don't remember if, if it was Nathan Ruiz, whoever it was, sent out a tweet about the probability of Jorge Mateo's walk yesterday, which he also, again, like wanted to do a bat flip afterwards. He was very excited about it, and I don't blame it, but there would be some irony in him finally being a little productive and then ultimately... Not, yeah, George Kirby was yes. the pitcher. Thank you. But I, I, I got to pull up the numbers. Okay. Yeah, it was Ruiz. It was Nathan Ruiz? Yeah, he yes. said, George Kirby walked six of 351 batters faced, 1.7%. Yes. And Jorge Mateo has walked in 11 of his 227 plate appearances, which is a 4.8% walk rate. Yes. So you add those together, uh, which, well, he, he believes is the appropriate arithmetic, uh, and you get about 0.08% chance. Yes, that, of that, that walk occurring. One in 1250 yeah. Yeah. chances. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. But I think that we've all seen enough of Jorge Mateo that we're not going to be up in arms if the answer is that you're moving on from Jorge Mateo as an everyday player and moving him into a utility role. I, I, I think either is justifiable, but we've got to figure out which it is. Or... Or are they just kind of going to say what they always say, which is, eh, we're going to find at-bats for everybody. And are we going to do the bit where Jordan Westberg's going to play short one day and second one day and third another day? And I don't corner outfield one day, although there's not really room for right. – you've, you've got four outfielders at the moment unless Five. you're – well, who are you counting as the fifth? McKenna? Well, I'm, I, they're not they're – not, they, there's no priority with Ryan McKenna. I'm saying there are four outfielders that you want to play right. right now. And the answer could be that, hey, we're making Santander an everyday first baseman, but then what are you doing with O'Hearn? I guess he's your your more typical DH in this situation. By the way, Ramon Arias did nothing to not get it bad, so it's just that just there's too it. much going on here. So the real question isn't the roster move. The real question is, what is he here to do, and what does that mean for everyone else? And we can say all along, it's a good problem to have, and none of it should have justified not having Jordan Westberg here. But we still need to get the answers. And that's really what, what's going to be interesting about tonight, if they play a game, and they probably won't play a game. But whenever they play games this week, the interesting part will be, what is it that Jordan Westberg is doing? And I think most of us would say, we hope they are committed to him playing a position and just being that guy and not doing the bit where they're bumping him around because they're still trying to make everybody an everyday player and not 
I, I don't like the scenario where Westberg's a second baseman one night, a shortstop another night, a third base. I'm not interested. This is the thing that we were talking about that was a problem with Gunnar Henderson to start the season. Just let him play a position. Just make that his spot. Until at what point he proves he shouldn't be in the lineup every day. And then deal with it from there. Kyle Stowers came up and was playing every day. But at the point at which he's not worthy of being an everyday player, then take him out of the lineup. But let him play a position. And worry about that and not worry every day about do I need to take some more reps in the outfield? Do I need to take more reps at first? But just, you're here, you're the second baseman, or you're here, you're the shortstop. Second makes the most sense, but I don't know how they value Frazier versus Mateo and what they bring to the lineup and who they think is more important to make sure they have it in the lineup and how that affects the decision. And if they're moving Mateo, I don't know to them if it makes more sense for Henderson to be the shortstop or Westberg to be the shortstop. I... I these are all things they'll have to solve because we think we might not be more than a year away from ultimately the guy that's going to be their shortstop being here long term. But that will be the big storyline for this week is where does he play? What does it mean for everybody else? Ultimately, we think it's a chance to get the team better. But let's be fair. It normally takes a little while for these guys to adjust I don't think that Jordan Westberg's suddenly going to come in and light the world on fire and, you know, be Ellie De La Cruz. Of course, I don't know that Ellie De La Cruz will be Ellie De La Cruz next week. But yes, the idea is that you should be trying to give your offense a jolt. And this is a, we would assume, better lineup by August or September if you go through the growing pains with Jordan Westberg for a little while and get him to that point. I I, I think it was overdue. I think that the Kowser thing needs to happen too, and that goes into the Mountcastle conversation that we've been having, that at some point you get Kowser here, now you're talking about having five outfielders, and you almost have to put Santander at first base. I get it. Somebody's probably going to get hurt. In the next week or two, as a knock on wood, that's the way the baseball works, and that'll alleviate some of the drama of these decisions. But there's no guarantee that anybody's going to get hurt. It was obviously good to have Cedric Mullins back this week. Very pleasant surprise. Yeah, it was really yeah. frustrating that when he, when he left a runner on third base with one out, that was very frustrating. <sighs> Did ultimately get his first hit back later in the game. But I was very, like the consternation that I felt with Mateo on third base, one out, Mullins popping up, me mm-hmm. thinking, oh, no, thank God Anthony Santander picked him up afterwards. and uh, Hell of a dramatic home run in that spot. Um, you know, fun, fun couple of days. Fun couple of days and a good feeling again. And it kind of masks. It, it, I brought this up yesterday on the radio show. It's now 14 and 12, but in the first 50 games of the season, the Orioles were 33 and 17, which is staggering. Staggering, 16 games over 500. In the next 25 games, and I used you know the 75 created a round round number, if you will. They were only 13 and 12. Now it's 14 and 12 because they won yesterday. And the question we asked was, which is more representative of what the Orioles are? And my belief is that this is more representative because I think they still have limitations pitching wise. I think they played over their heads for the first 50 games. And that they are more of a good team, a team, I'm not saying a 500 team, a good team, but 
33 of 17 is insane. That's nuts. And you can tell me, well, that's baseball. That's why I get it. I'm saying which is more representative. And what's more representative to me is this of late, which is good. It's good. And as everybody points out, if you can play 500 baseball, you'll be a 90-win team. You'll be a, right in the mix as a playoff team. You want to try to overcome the Rays? You're probably going to need to be better than that. One of the biggest differences? Starting pitching. So it was nice to see Cobb Radish go seven innings. I mean, really nice to see Cobb Radish go seven innings. It was nice to see Dean, Dean Kramer have the start that he had. Obviously, not the same for Kyle Gibson. I, I, I don't know. He's been good enough that I think you'd live with that. I don't know that you suggest that, that they are turning the corner and that now you're going to see more regular seven-inning starts from the likes of Bradish and Kramer, but really effing pleasant. Really pleasant to see those guys battle, keep the pitch counts lower. Bradish looked like he was going to get blown up in the first couple of innings yesterday. The ball that was robbed by Santander, the double was crushed, the home run. I mean, it looked bad for Bradish yesterday. He settled down really nicely after that point. Didn't allow another hit. It seems like the common theme with him is like he gets through the first inning and then like even like back to that. It was like the first series. two innings yesterday. Yeah. I mean, it was. And, and, then, and, and then he goes on a stretch where he retires like 15 days yeah, straight. The yeah. balls were flying and you real. I mean, I really was very nervous about what the day had in store for Kyle Bradish. And then all of a sudden, yeah, again, humid, uh, yeah. doesn't give up. A, yeah, correct. Yeah. It doesn't give up another hit. It was wild to see that. To me, is the biggest story. The biggest difference in whether they can be that team that we saw for the first 50 games versus the team that we have seen more recently is, can you get more from your pitching? I mean, if these guys have the ability to go six, seven innings every time out, that changes the conversation. Do I, do I count on that? I, given their track record, I can't. And by the way, they still don't have a fifth starter. M- maybe they lined up Cole Irvin for tonight because they saw what the forecast was going to be. <laughs> It is, skip him. it is interesting. I, I brought up that scenario with Stan where like maybe they're waiting to see what happens on Friday because if they already have the series clinched, maybe they throw Irvin on Sunday, and then if they don't have the series clinched, they wait until Monday. They obviously decided to wait until Monday, which, yes, bumps Tyler Wells back a day, and I guess that's a good thing if you're dealing with innings, but it's not one day is not the difference going to make for the year. You had the opportunity to skip starts. You didn't do that. Just giving him an extra day probably isn't going to change a whole lot about how you protect his innings for the season. Irvin slated to pitch tonight. Again, we don't think there's going to be a game. If they don't play, presumably, I haven't even looked at the weather the, for the rest of the week. What's yeah. the what's uh, the story? The weather. Well, yeah. uh, well, I know the Reds don't are off on Thursday as well. So oh, like they that. both have off days on Thursday. Okay, yeah. well, then that would make it easy because the Orioles are still at home. They're not yeah. having to go anywhere, so they'll be fine with playing the game. I don't know. Where, where do the Reds go next? They go. Reds go. They were home this weekend, so presumably. They go back they home. They go, they're only playing. Th- that's a weird yeah. schedule quirk. Cincinnati's not too far, I guess. Just yeah, but it's still weird to yeah. only go on the road for three games and then go back home. That's that's a weird bit. I don't know what that's all about. But, yes, that probably means that they would play on Thursday. I guess the question is, are they worried about there being more games? It doesn't look – I'm looking at tomorrow. It doesn't look bad tomorrow. Well, scattered thunderstorms. Okay. Where cool. Where, uh, we were thunderstorms, drought, th- some thunderstorms through the day, all throughout the day, and then easing up tomorrow night. So I, I guess they could maybe – they could try to get it in tomorrow night. 
yeah, there's reason to think they could just play the game on Thursday. Or if the teams are really all that hell-bent on having the off day, they would right. say, we'll try to... It doesn't look like they could play two tomorrow, but maybe they could play two on Wednesday. So if that's what they really want to do, just to make sure they don't lose the off day. And the players hate losing off days, so I could see them choose to play a doubleheader on Wednesday where they don't see a whole... I don't really see much in the way of rain in the forecast, so that would seem to be more legitimate to me. Um, all right. Is that everything from the weekend? Do we cover it all? Mm. Batista, yeah, I mean, we talked about that briefly. Yeah, well, Mike Ford's just, you know... It was interesting they went to Coulomb in the eighth inning yesterday. Interesting, after he had to come out and save Cano, like, are they just finding... And I talked about the idea of it being that, matchup-driven. Yeah, I think it... <sighs> I, I said, I think two weeks ago, we started having that conversation about maybe the eighth inning should just be matchup-driven moving forward. That... With all due respect to Cano, who's still been a very good story. And look, when he got in trouble on Saturday, he still did well just to get that, you know, ground ball and prevent any more damage and turn it over to Cologne to save things. But I think moving forward, I don't think that I'm committing to Coulomb as the eighth inning guy. I think it's just looking at the lineup and looking at matchups and choosing. you got two guys that are leverage relievers that have both been consistently good. By the way, and we talked about Bauman struggling in Chicago. What he did on Saturday in the 10th inning, bonkers. Bonkers. All of the emotion of losing a lead in the 9th inning and the life and the energy being sucked out of the ballpark, and then the Orioles going out meekly in the bottom of the 9th inning and having lost by 12 runs the night before and... Things just feeling very hinky in that moment. For him to step up the way that he did in the 10th inning with a runner on second base, unbelievable. I mean, just absolutely massive for Mike Bauman in the 10th on Saturday. Um, but, yeah, I think that it's a matchup thing in the 8th inning moving forward, and that's fine. And Start in the 7th inning. You get to a situation where you're going to the bullpen in the 7th inning and you're trying to protect the lead, you got two good options. And if the lineup... You know, sets up with lefties in the seventh, then you go to Coulomb in the seventh. If you look at the lineup and it's righties in the seventh, lefties in the eighth, then you put Cano in the seventh, and then you decide what you want to do and getting him in in the eighth. I, I just think that's where it is moving forward. It's not defined Cano in the eighth. It's you've got two guys, both of whom you think are pretty good pitchers, and you trust both of them. Yes, Cano has been human. But still, the totality of the season says he's been pretty good. Is he already still below one? I hear you. Not out. All right, let's grab a break. Jeremy Kahn will join us next. Today's show brought to you by PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash offers right now and get a $150 in bonus bets from DraftKings after you place your first $5 bet. See this and other great sportsbook offers. PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. Glenn Clark Radio. Hey, O's fans, the Birdland Summer Music Series presented by Miller Lite continues at Oreo Park at Camden Yards on Friday, June 30th with DJ Diesel, a.k.a. Shaquille O'Neal. After the Orioles take on the Minnesota Twins at 7.05, stay post-game to watch DJ Diesel live from the infield. The concert is open to all fans who attend the game with the option to ask special on-field access for just $35. You can get up close and experience the biggest DJ in the world live at Camden Yards. Get your tickets at Orioles.com music. 
Your summer destination is closer than you think at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. With an expansive gaming floor and incredible dining options ready for you to explore, your adventure awaits. Dine at the new Coho Korean Barbecue House coming in July or on the patio at the Prime Rib. Enjoy the summertime breeze at Orchid Smoking Patio. Limited time packages starting at $229. What are you waiting for? Book now. At Arundel Mills, must be 21. Please play responsibly for help. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Orioles are off and running out to prove that last season wasn't a fluke and they are one of the best teams in baseball. Hi, I'm Paul Valley, host of the Bat Around for Press Box. Tune in every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon as Zach Goodman and I break down every Adley bomb, every Tony Tater, and every save from the mountain. Like a warm hug from Rutschman, the Bat Around has you covered with all things Orioles as we embark on what's sure to be a magical summer in Birdland. So tune in every Saturday for the best in Orioles coverage right here on the Bat Around. Another exciting weekend of affordable family fun at Prince George's Stadium with the Bowie Bay Sox. It's our Independence Weekend celebration starting on Friday the 30th with our Pride Night. A special ticket package gets you a Bay Sox rainbow hat. And then July 1st through 3rd, major fireworks shows each and every night with a special jersey auction on sale. Get your tickets now by calling 301-805-6000 or anytime online at BaySox.com. The Bowie Bay Sox, let us be your nine-inning vacation. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. Costas Inn has been serving up delicious steamed crabs for over 50 years. Lately, the crabs you want to eat when the weather warms up have gotten harder and harder to get. So get your crab-eating game plan in place. Make sure to stick this number on your fridge, 410-477-1975. Call ahead and reserve the size crabs you want. You may be able to walk in, but you may also be disappointed at the size or maybe even get shut out altogether. So call ahead, have a plan, and then arrive on your crab-eating vacation. Costas also has delicious crab soup and crab cakes. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. For more than 50 years, they've been satisfying crab lovers in and around Baltimore. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Starts your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches. And top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. If you need more of Glenn, you can also hear him every Sunday with Rita on 105.7 The Fan. But also, if you need more of Glenn, um, what's wrong with you? Uh, Wall Street Window is checking in to say it should be Henderson playing short and Westberg at third. And look, you know, outside of shortstop, third base is the position that Westberg has the most experience playing in the minors. Uh, he's played overwhelmingly most at short, 156 games. But if you don't believe him, him defensively at short or think it's too much to ask of him at first to be a major league short, third would probably be the more logical choice than the second. I think, it, again, it goes to what what problem are you trying to solve here? I think that's what I'm coming back to. Do you think it's more important to have Mateo out of the lineup? Do you think he offers more? Do you think Frazier offers more being in the lineup every day? And then go kind of go about it. If you're saying you don't think that Westberg has enough experience, second base, he's played 47 games at second base in the minors. 
If you don't think he has enough experience at second base that you want to be your second baseman, then you're probably going to stick it out with Frazier. We're going to find out, obviously. I just hope the answer, as I keep saying, I hope the answer isn't one position one day, another position the other day. I think that's the wrong way to go about doing it. Let's get the opinion of my buddy Jeremy Kahn. Big Bag Morning Show, 105.7 The Fan. He's back with us now here on GCR. What's going on, pal? How are you? Things are good. Doing yeah. well. I saw you hit. You had a big hit this weekend, didn't you? Yeah, Friday night. Uh, I mean, I got really lucky, too, but um, I, I've been trying to tell people to when we see a game that has phenomenal weather and, you know, like you feel like it's a really strong overplay to take, you know, some of the best hitters in that game and then you could either – parlay a home run, parlay a player to get a hit, um, and work things out that way. Uh, and then what happened was Friday night, it was the Braves and Reds. I had the over in that game. I had Ellie De La Cruz and Matt Olson to hit a home run. And um, it came all the way down to the ninth inning when the Braves hit three solo shots. That actually helped me win two parlays, just the other one was much smaller. Mm-hmm. So, But I hit 4500 off of 50 bucks. That's not bad. That's a, I believe they call yeah. that a decent return on investment. Uh, I have spent $50 in drastically worse ways than that. Uh, that yeah. ain't bad. Again, ConcreteLocks.com is the website if you're looking for information like this. And, of course, picks every day as well at PressBoxOnline.com. And I feel like I've become the foremost expert on the Reds, too, as I've pretty much been watching them. I've watched every one of their games this weekend. Really? Um yeah, all three games, and they were all excellent. So much fun to watch. Yeah, they, well, they, so they won the first one coming from behind, and they lost both the X2 like by seven to six scores, right? Yeah, they lost the next two, but they were both like fun games, and it's just funny. Like the announcers are like, "How much fun are we having doing this?" Like they're laughing, they're they're talking about like this team, and they're not going to lose games three to one. They're gonna they're going to lose nine to seven yep. or yep. you know thirteen to ten. That's just how it's going to be. No doubt. All right, so let's talk about we don't I don't I don't think they're going to play baseball tonight given the forecast, but at some point in the next day or two, we are going to see Jordan Westberg debut for the Baltimore Orioles. I, and again, whatever the roster move is that corresponds will not be all that dramatic as nobody's going to get up in arms about Joey Ortiz or Ryan McKenna even after he had that big home run on Saturday. But what is it draw it out for me? What is it that you think that Jordan Westberg should be doing who should no longer be getting every day at bats? The, the actual important part of this, if you were Brandon Hyde and Mike Elias, what would this look like for Jordan Westberg and the Orioles? Well, we, know, we all know the answer, and it sucks for some. The two guys that shouldn't be getting every day at bats, in my opinion, are first Adam Frazier, and then secondly, uh, at least Mateo's bringing a glove. Um, Adam Frazier is graded out as one of the worst defenders at his position this year. Uh, I, think, I think he grades out second worst. And it's like, I just want to know who's the worst second baseman right. so I can make fun of him. Right. But, um, I mean, he's one of the highest paid players on the team, as weird as that sounds. And ultimately, I feel like if you're not getting what you paid for, I understand the DFA or moving someone on, but um, it makes sense. Like, Westbrook coming up makes sense. Cowser eventually coming up makes sense. Kierstad, all these guys. Like, it at least makes sense to have some of those guys in the minors. And, you know, I, I hate saying stuff like this, although I don't think Westbrook's one of those guys. It wouldn't, you know, showcasing a guy, too, to let other teams see what he looks like at the major league level isn't the worst thing in the world. But I don't think Westbrook's one of the guys that they would move. So you would have Westbrook just play second base then? Yes. Okay. All right. And it's, look, it's not. Now, if I, to get him at bats, if I needed to move him to another spot, but like, like if he's playing 
second base 90% of the time and you move him to another right. spot. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'm fine right. with it. But, but keep it uniform as much as you can. Correct. I, you I am I, The thing that they've done with other guys where it's one position one day, another position, I, I, I don't think that's great for anybody is they try to do this. Like maybe at some point in the future, once once he's gotten settled as a major league hitter, we can have that conversation. But no, yeah, that's get, something you do in the minors. Once he gets here, put correct. him in his spot and let him play. Correct. Like if you want, like they want flexibility out of players, and I'm like, I'm fine with that. But like, we shouldn't be, <laughs> we shouldn't be moving the chairs around just to suit everyone and just make sure. Okay, you're getting it. Like play him at second base. There's nobody on this team that should be playing second base over him right now, unless you want to tell me that's Gunner. But Gunner should be on the other side. Right. So, like, it's kind of to your point of what you're talking about. Um, I want to talk – I'm writing today about Ryan Mountcastle, um, who we assume is going to be back. That's why I, I don't think the roster move is all that dramatic. I think we know who the two guys are that are going to be gone by the end of this week, and, you know, one of them is going to go for Westberg. The other one's going to go when they bring back Mountcastle. But the Mountcastle conversation is so much more complicated to me than that. Like, I, it's, it's so much bigger because when he comes back, presumably he's nothing more than – you know, hitting against lefties right now because you can't sit Ryan O'Hearn. You can't sit Anthony Santander. Um, I, I think right now Mountcastle's going to hit against lefties and not much more than that. And that's not for me writing off Ryan Mountcastle and saying he can never hit again against righties or he'll never get another opportunity to be an everyday first baseman. But I, I think at the moment we have to start having the conversation about how it is that Ryan Mountcastle does fit in particularly knowing Heston Kerstad is, is further on the way and probably will be here by next season. I, I don't know how Ryan Mountcastle fits into this puzzle long-term for the Orioles. He doesn't. I mean, that's the bottom line. Like, at the beginning of the year, here's what, here's what I said at the beginning of the year. I think you can upgrade a shortstop. I think you can upgrade at second and first, depending on where they played Gunner and how they wanted to do all that stuff. Um, and then I, I thought you could upgrade at a corner outfield spot, most, most importantly being Austin Hayes, which he's proven once yeah. he's healthy, like he can play. Now this is a one year sample size, but I really like Austin Hayes. I know you get his defense every single day. And if he brings the bat with him, to me, that's plus plus. So um, ultimately I, I did think you could upgrade in all those places. And Brian Mocastle has never been for guy. I mean, if you look at his on base percentage, the strikeouts, the walks, all the things, he's not their guy. You need to have more power. You need to have a higher OPS. If you're going to be, a Baltimore Oriole with the way that the front office is running things. Um, so I just – I never thought he was their guy, and ultimately I like Ryan Malcastle, but I thought he would be in a trade for something better. I, I just don't know that he has any trade value either right now, right? Like that's Well, the, right now it doesn't yeah. feel like it, but, you know, at the beginning of the year I think he did. Yeah, but, so. okay, so, so now – and that's the tricky part. That's what I started writing about, right? Because I, I think the argument would be are, are you at the point with Ryan Malcastle where – things get so crowded that by the trade deadline you just take pennies on the do- dollar for someone that wants to make him a reclamation project, Like, which seems unfair to say about Ryan Mountcastle because it's not, again, it sounds like I'm talking about him like he's Chris Davis late in his career. I, Ryan Mountcastle's been a contributor. He's been a helpful piece, and it's been a, it was a bad couple of weeks, obviously, before the vertigo, but he was pretty good in April. Um, I, I just I don't know. I feel like right now there's not a lot of value there in a trade, it also feels like he's maybe clogging up a spot that could be used in a better way. So are you at a point where by the deadline you're you're simply just looking for someone to kind of take him off your hands or do you ride this thing out the rest of the way for the season and deal with it in the offseason? I mean, I'm glad they have to answer that question because, like, it is a – it's 
not a great sample size here, but we've seen enough of him to kind of know who he is at this point, at least here locally. Mm-hmm. Um, he does have some pop in the bat, uh, can get hot at times, but I think some of these lows aren't worth dealing with. And this is a team that you're expecting con- to contend. So if you sell him for pennies on the dollar, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Like it's, it's not ideally what you'd like to do, but they may be in that position where they're, where they have to just to create that open spot on the roster and let's, they want to keep Ryan Mountcastle here, as, as you put it, as a, a situational guy against left-handed pitching. Right. And, and I think that part of the tricky part of this is is how much do we continue? Ryan, Her- Ryan O'Hearn's actually going to join us later this morning. Are, are they convinced that this is definitely who Ryan O'Hearn is? Like, I, I, I think that's the other part of the struggle is if you make a decision like this, you're kind of committing to Ryan O'Hearn. Well, you know, Ryan O'Hearn's been a revelation, but for 30 games, right? Like, are we certain – that this is exactly what you're going to get from Ryan O'Hearn moving forward. See, but I think ultimately, too, that if things blow up in their face, they might try to work this in some other way of somebody else playing first. We've seen Santander play there. Mm-hmm. We've seen uh, Ramon play there. Mm-hmm. Not that it's ideal. I don't know that you want a five-foot, what is he, six, right, first baseman. Right, but right. Um, I, maybe I'm shorting him. I, I don't mean to do in pun intended. Um, so I guess, I guess that's the route you have to take. Uh, you know, I know they just sent uh, Lester down, um, and that that was just kind of a stopgap thing. But they got to figure something out, and ultimately, could they be in on a trade? Uh, that's what I think. That's what a lot of us want to know: is will they make a big splash right. this year? And could you know, like the names like Paul Goldschmidt, whose contract's up at the end of the year, his name comes up, and he would be a perfect fit on any team uh, for that matter. So he would I, I, I guess? I guess I'm just kind of curious to see what they do. Yeah, that's where I find myself. Like, by the way, the column that I'm writing doesn't exactly have answers. It's it's more just pondering all every layer of this complicated question when it comes to Ryan Mountcastle moving forward. It's interesting you bring up. We're chatting with Jeremy Kahn here on GCR. It's interesting that you bring up Goldschmidt because I I, I am really struggling with whether or not you can take on a rental of any sort. Like I, you know, I, I if you can if you can do it for next to nothing. But I don't even know that I'm willing to give up like a Connor Norby for a rental at this point. I just find it so unlikely that you can rental your way towards World Series contention at at the moment that I I don't think I could give up anything real for a rental at the moment, even as Tyson as any of those names might be. Well, could you pay Goldschmidt at the end of the year, too? You could, but I mean, that that goes back to the – I think that's a far bigger question that we're asking ourselves about – whether or not they're ready to start making, you know, financial commitments. If I, here's well, what they, I would, they should be because they got the second best I, record in the American. I League. hear you, not dude. Ready yet, when are I, they going to be ready? I, but this, if if next week they announced like they signed um, Gunnar Henderson long term, well then maybe I would feel differently about my my thought process about rentals, right? Maybe at that point I would say, okay, they're they're ready to go. They're spending money. I'd be willing to consider it, but I don't know until I see that. I kind of I'm reverting back to they've got to prove to me that they're ready to be that team in, until I'm willing to believe it. Well, the other thing is too, like they have a ton of prospects and you can't keep them all. And I know it's like, look, I'm not saying just trade for the sake of trading, but if they find someone, even a rental that they think is good and the values there, I'm not saying again, I'm not just saying pick your top prospect and go get Goldschmidt, whatever it costs. No, be smart about it. And I fully believe this front office will. And they've. They've been way smarter than me because I would have went after Jose Abreu in the offseason. He just now started hitting. Right, so, right. Um, you know, like sometimes things aren't what you expect. But uh, but that being said, I, I mean, I still feel like they need to it, – it'd be nice to see them make some moves the better this team because as well as they're playing, there are some 
you know, there are some holes on this team that are obvious, I think. Uh, I don't disagree with that uh, at all. And I think, look, as nice as it was to see Cobb Radish go seven innings and you got a great start at Dean Kramer, I think the innings thing continues to be the biggest problem that plagues. And, you know, they literally don't have a fifth starter on the roster at the moment, although I think we are still hoping that Grayson Rodriguez – I. They're going to give Cole Irvin another shot this week, but I I don't know. I just don't have any confidence there. I I am that that to me is a placeholder. I it that one still continues to stand out. That all three, I I asked this question, Jeremy. They were thirty three and seventeen in their first fifty games this year. They were thirteen and twelve in the next twenty five. And the question that we were talking about on the radio show yesterday was which is more representative of what the Orioles really are. And I kept going back to, I think, 13 and 12. Not to say that's exactly representative. I'm just saying it's more representative simply because I don't think they can be the outstanding team without getting more innings from their starting pitching. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, the like this is what I talked about. Um, ironically, the Reds are in town. I would say this about the Reds for years where I felt like they had a lot of number two starting pitchers and it wouldn't be good enough if they ever caught fire and got into the postseason. And then they subsequently traded all those pieces away. But um, and I think people would look at the Orioles. Like tomorrow night is – tomorrow night should be the uh, marquee matchup with Abbott pitching for the Reds, their youngster, oh, no doubt. against Tyler Wells uh, because we get the Reds' two worst pitchers uh, tonight and um, whatever, Wednesday, unless there's some sort of rain out and they mix things up. But that being said, like, you know, you look at the Orioles starting pitching and if I said Tyler Wells and Kyle Bradish are their best pitchers or even Kyle Gibson, does that – I don't want to say, I always, we always use the term, does that scare anyone? That's, yep. well, yep. You get what I'm saying. Yep. Like, yep. you know, when you're, when you're putting that up against Garrett Cole or uh, Kevin Gosman, it doesn't, it doesn't pass the sniff test, even though numbers wise, those guys might be on the level. I'm with you. I'm with you. This is such a, God, it would be such a bummer if the weather, and it, it, it really does look like it's going to ruin it tonight because this is, this is the hipster series. Like this is the, the one for baseball fans. Over the course of the next uh, few days, this is the best series to see all year long. Yeah, um, from a from a viewing standpoint, for fun, yep. you know, like yep, yeah, they've already played the Braves, who are a fun team, but this Reds team, if you haven't watched them, like uh, you'll see Ellie De La Cruz, who is a tall glass of water, that he's hit a line drive to the first baseman and beat it out, beat I mean, a, a legitimate infield hit after hitting a line drive to the first baseman. He recorded one of the fastest triple times we've seen this year, only beat by another youngster, Corbin Carroll who's grading out to look like Mike Trout, whether or not that is what his future holds. It's, it's pretty amazing. Matt McClain, their, their shortstop who bats second form, depending on how they, they usually flip the top of the order with Jonathan India and uh, Fraley, Friedel. I mean, th- there's just fun, fast guys that hit for average, that steal bases, lots of power. Joey Votto's back. He's one of the most fun guys to watch in all of baseball. So, yeah, this is for me. This is the series as a baseball fan. I want to see all these young players play. You watch uh, the Bear? Is that? Uh, did you? I don't even know if you watched I season one. Started season two. I love season one. Okay, you say you love season one. It's such a difficult show for yeah. me to talk about because, like, I it, it it's not Succession, but there's something similar to that. I I enjoy the show, but I don't enjoy anything about the show. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's so. Yeah, I love all the characters. I, it, but it's so effing intense. That like you feel anxiety as you're watching it, um, and th- season two doesn't start that way. It really starts picking up around like uh, episode four into that intensity. But man, like I- the anxiety. I don't. I've never been someone who smokes cigarettes, but like literally watching the bear kind of makes me want to smoke cigarettes. Yeah, 
and I get that too. Like, I guess for me, um, when I first got into radio, I worked at a pizza shop, sub shop. So like some of that stuff behind the scenes, nowhere near like what they're doing in Chicago, the characters seem relatable to me, like growing up in Essex, White Marsh area. Like I have those, some of the guys that are in that, um, that are on the show, like their characters, I have those people in my family. So like the cousin, um, the story with his, his cook and, you know, this go-getter that's trying hard yeah. and trying to be something keeps getting pushed back. Like I just, I, I, I really like the characters and I feel like, I really like lip, you know, like I, I don't know what, I, I don't want to call him anything else. He'll always be lip. Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. Uh, I, I think he's really, really good uh, at what he does, and, and I just love the story. I, I had never actually, until uh, The Bear, I had never actually watched Shameless, by the way. And so it was The Bear that got me to go back. I, I'd still, by, I think I'm only eight seasons in. I couldn't believe it was 11 seasons of Shameless. That's insane. Um, but, yeah. like, I, I have discovered how much I've enjoyed Shameless because of watching season one of The Bear. Um, so I appreciated that. Uh, and then I have to ask you if you, what what is the thing? If I said a show, but it could be something else. The thing that you have done for Mrs. Khan that you had the least amount of interest in doing in your life, because tomorrow night, Jeremy, and by the way, there's more rain in the forecast tomorrow. I am scheduled to attend the Shania Twain concert at Meriwether Post Pavilion. And you know me, I like a lot of silly pop music, but this is not for me tomorrow. This is, I am, I'm mortified of this event. I was, I can't believe you're mortified. So like live music, unless you're taking me, like even, like I just love live music. Like um, (sighs) my, I would say this though, the the one thing that really upset me about you is when I told you I was going to Nashville. Oh, to see Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I went. Oh my God! It's like yeah. he's, this is one of the greatest songwriters of our lifetime. Oh, Are you God, kidding me? God, I can't do it. I can't, man. There's too. I love him. Like it's too saccharine, and I would go a step beyond. Here's the thing that really drives me nuts about Ed Sheeran because I can deal with some saccharine. It's too saccharine, and then on top of it, it's his forced extra syllables in his songwriting that drive me insane. Where like he he doesn't keep a standard from line to line. He'll have like three additional syllables in the following line and just kind of stuff them together in awkward ways in order to make it work. And everybody, I, and it I, works I, eh, for you. For every you, every time, like does. a charm. I don't, I don't, I can't do it with Ed Sheeran. I can't. It's not. And I'm a guy that <laughs> liked John Mayer. Like I like John Mayer. I probably went and saw John Mayer three times in my life. I enjoyed it. I don't, I don't feel the same way about Ed Sheeran. Um, and it's all look. John Mayer is also like a great guitarist. Like truly. A, was making great blues music just with silly little saccharine sweet lyrics over it. Um, <laughs> I, the Shania I Twain guess. thing, I, I, I don't. It's not for me. I when I she asked for the tickets for Christmas, I assumed she wanted to go with like one of her girlfriends because that's what the chicks go to see Shania Twain together and like you know you, let's go girls and the whole thing. This is not for me. Do you want me to take your wife to see I Shania would, Twain? Oh my god, it would be you would you would be. I, I don't know. I would give you uh, $1,000 every week to go take my wife to Shania I, Twain. And I don't mean this the wrong way, Glenn. I think she would have a better time with she me because I would be enjoying the A thousand percent she would have a better time with you. Yeah. A thousand well, percent she would have a better time with so you. So the only, there's only one thing that, maybe not one thing that I'm vehemently against. Like I, My wife knows that I hate fireworks. I hate parades. I hate, like, I hate a lot of the stuff that people you like. hate America? Or I, yeah, <laughs> kind of. Um, so... 
Uh, no, no, I don't. I don't hate America. Yeah. Like just some of this stuff is just played out. Like this coming up the Fourth of July. Like I wish the British would have won. I just <laughs> I can't do fireworks, man. I, I I'll wear the curly wig right, and all, all that right. other stuff. I actually don't blame you on the fireworks thing. Like I I I see him for a second and I'm like, and then they just keep going and then they just. Well, I I've never really loved them, and then I I, I yeah. told this story. I got a dog that yes. loses their mind. Yes. We had people lighting off fireworks on Friday night for whatever reason because it's June and it makes sense in Glen Burnie to just randomly light off fireworks. And oh, by the way, the house I moved into has the largest, that's where they set off the fireworks right across the street from it. So we get like, it, it sounds like D-Day all over again with all the explosions and things that my, oh, my dog loses her mind. And I, I should just video it and put it up so people can see what it looks like. And it's impossible. You can't control her. The stuff she does doesn't make any sense. The other day, she tried to get in the laundry basket and kick all the dirty clothes out of the laundry basket. Well, that's adorable. And then she tried to flip the basket over. Well, it's it, dude. She's ruined homes. She well, she caused fifty thousand dollars worth of damage in my last house. And Jesus. I love the dog. I'm not changing anything. I just hate fireworks. I don't blame but you for that. The one thing that I'm vehemently against is hiking. I hate hiking. I hate it. So when we went to Denver, my wife wanted to go to the Garden of the Gods, and we did that, and we hiked around. And immediately I found out there the only thing worse than hiking is hiking in Colorado. Oh yeah. Because oh. the air said Oh no doubt. You're God. you're you're choking hundred percent. If you could be in you could be in good shape. I don't want to because I'm not in great shape at all. Like I get winded tying my shoes now. Imagine what I would do there today if I was going up there to try to okay, try to so, do anything. So I oh. I think I figured this out. We'll just we'll be like uh, this guy that we used to know. We'll be swingers. You can go to Shania yeah. Twain concerts with my wife, I'll go hiking with yours, and we'll solve this problem. Love it. Look at Love what we it. just accomplished here today. Oh, you also we, have to go. This out. You also have to go to see uh, Twilight movies with her because I did that once, and I, I see that, every movie. That I don't care. Never. I just occur. went and saw The Little Mermaid with my wife. Well, that's kind of. I, I think I would actually do that. To be honest with you. Yeah. All right, uh, I got. I got to run. We got somebody coming up. Big Bad Morning Show. One hundred five seven. The fan. I know. Oh no, no offense. Way more important. Concretelocks.com, uh, <laughs> and of course, at Picks Everyday Pressboxonline.com. Love you, buddy. We'll talk to you next Monday. All right, guys. I'll see you. Jeremy Kahn, 105.7 The Fan, with us here on GCR. Appreciate him joining us as always. Today's show also brought to you by your local Toyota dealer and buyatoyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Um, yeah, I got to go to Shania Twain tomorrow night. And we're on the lawn, and it's supposed to rain. This is hell. How was, uh, this is hell. How was Wheezy? Weezer was fine. Weezy, uh, oh, Wheezy. Yes, I am Wheezy, but I'm not asthmatic. Uh, I had a fun time at Weezer. It's not, like, Weezer's not my band by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, Buddy Holly, I was singing along, and Sweater Song. I don't like the new Weezer stuff that much, but like the old school stuff, I was all in and on. It was fine. We had a we had a great we had a really good time actually. We had a really good time at Weezer on Friday night. But uh, I don't know about Shania Twain. I don't I don't know about that. I'm not feeling it. Not feeling it. You ask me again on Wednesday, and I'll I'll report back to you. Let you know. Joining us now here on GCR, it's a really cool story from a St. Paul's alum who recently made his MLB debut with the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, he is back down with Buffalo right now, but I have no doubt it's only going to be a matter of time before he's back up at the MLB level. He is Spencer Horowitz, and he's with us now here on GCR. Spencer, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's great to chat with you, man. Thank you for taking the time, and congratulations. 
Thank you. Great to be here. Hey, dude, it's good to hear your voice. Um, can you put into words, you dreamed of this, no doubt, throughout your life, right? You've been around baseball your entire life. How does the dream of the Major League debut actually compare to the reality of the Major League debut? Um, the dream didn't do it any justice. Really? Um, it was it was everything I dreamed of times 10. It was the atmosphere, the being there with my family, the, all the emotions. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, can you like what what is the moment and like a first? Did you did you take everybody thinks of uh, Adley Rutschman a couple years, last year comes up with the Orioles and he looks around the ballpark and everybody sees this moment. Did you have a moment where like it you soaked it in where you just kind of reveled in this is the accomplishment that I've been waiting for for my entire life? Yeah, I was before my debut. It was a. Uh, I- played on a Sunday and before that I was sitting on the bench Friday Saturday so I was obviously nervous before that but once I got that start that's when it really set in and the nerves like and uh it really kicked in and then uh I was on deck and I could see my family um in the stands uh and I just looked around at the stadium and just took a moment and the Texas stadium is ginormous I'm like holy like this is this is unbelievable and I'm standing on deck and then after that first pitch of the batter in front of me i locked back in to get ready for my bet oh man that's it's a cool feeling obviously you ended up so what's what'd you do with the ball from the first hit uh yeah i gave it to my brother okay that's cool and wait did you give it to your brother for him to keep forever or for him to like give back for him to just keep it for safekeeping to give back to you later no no that's that's for him. That's he, awesome, he's my man. best friend. He, he's my, my ultimate BP thrower, and I would not be here without him. That's really cool, dude. That's a really, really neat story. Spencer Horowitz is with us. Uh, Spencer, you know, for people that don't know your background, take me through. Growing up uh, in Timonium, I mentioned you know, a baseball family, right? I think a lot of people are familiar with your grandfather, who um, you know, PR guy from the Mets for basically eternity. Did you always know that it was baseball for you? I think if I remember right, you played a little hockey too, right? It's- yeah, um, baseball was ball was my first word, so it's it's obviously been in my been in my blood for a while. But yeah, it's it's been baseball since day one. I, I messed around with other sports growing up, and uh, yeah, played soccer, football, hockey, and um, yeah, hockey and baseball are the ones that stuck through high school. And um, yeah, I always just loved baseball and loved the just the the grind of it and how difficult it was and how. Honestly, it wasn't the most popular sport in Maryland, and going to St. Paul's, obviously, lacrosse school, right. we were, the baseball team was never, like, the big dogs on campus, but we always, uh, we always had that chip on our shoulder to be, uh, to be that team on campus. Was there a moment for you that it struck you that you could really do this? Was there a- anything that you accomplished that you just look back on and say, I-, I, always knew- I always wanted to do it, but this is when I knew I might be able to do it? Um, yeah, I say the first time I, I like thought of myself as like pretty good baseball player was probably after my like junior year of high school, I was like, I had a solid high school season and like, was like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. And then went on to play summer ball and started to get some college notice. And I was like, Oh, like maybe I could keep playing. But, um, in terms of like getting to the show, um, I, yeah, I took it one level at a time and had to hit my way through up each level, going from short season up to triple A. So it was always of just accomplishing the next task: is can I hit it high A? Can I hit it double A? Mm-hmm. Can I hit it triple A? And then yeah, and then 
just got that call and now the next question is can I hit at the big leagues and Hopefully time will tell that I can. I no doubt about that. Uh, get by the way, starting off with John Gray ain't bad. That's not a bad one to collect your first major league hit off of, right? Like yeah, yeah. You don't you, you don't get he's easy ones. Yeah, he's having yeah. a really good year, right? Yeah. That, that ain't bad. Spencer, um, the experience playing for Team Israel and in the World Baseball Classic. Mm-hmm. One, how much did it do for you in? That, that conversation of, of proving that you belong and feeling that you belong and being on a big stage and all of those things, and then just being around some of the guys that you were around. That, you know, we know, of course, Dean Kramer really well here in Baltimore. Um, mm-hmm. But what did that do for you in making some of these final jumps and, and that level of confidence that you got for making the jump to the bigs? Yeah, I was, I was definitely on the fence about going to the WBC. Um, because it was my first big league spring training and I wanted to be with the Blue Jays. They're my club. They're the ones that have believed in me since day one. And um, I was talking to my agent, talking to my family, and we just decided it's just too good of an opportunity to pass up on and playing in the world stage and playing in front of that elite competition. I would have been playing against elite competition in spring training, but this was a different level when it was um, when I'm playing against the Dominican and playing against Puerto Rico and playing against Venezuela and how they all have multiple all-stars on each roster. Mm-hmm. So that's what, what the final decision was. And um, yeah, that was my first time playing in a big league stadium. And that was playing in front of 40, 50,000 people of passionate screaming fans the entire time. And yeah, that definitely prepared me well. And when I got to Arlington, it was, it was less, uh, less intimidating playing in front of that big of crowd for sure. No, that makes sense. I mean, it, it just, just going through the experience of like being in a big league clubhouse, right? And like seeing how guys operate, things like, they, they seem like mm-hmm. small things, but I would imagine that otherwise you show up on your first day and it, it could be a little intimidating, right? Absolutely. And yeah, that's, I give credit to Peter, the GM at Team Israel and yeah, our manager, Ian Kinsler, our hitting coach, Kevin Euclid and our bench coach was Brad Austin. Like we had an unbelievable staff yeah. that prepared me for what the big leagues was like. So the the appreciation and the love that you're getting from the Jewish community back here in Baltimore. Um, we are we are partners mm-hmm. with Jaymore, the the publication here in town. We love them. I, we talk about it with Dean all the time. It, it, it's like the moment he showed up he had this entire overwhelming support system that existed that he never knew was here before. But can, can you put that into words, the way that you're embraced by this community, the Jewish community here in Baltimore, and what it means to you? Yeah, I think it's just coming from that, um, that like familiar face. It's like something that people can relate to. And me especially being a, a Baltimore guy, being a, a late-round guy, and having that underdog mentality kind of similar to a lot of what the Jewish culture has come from and mm-hmm. they can relate to that. And that's why I think they're so drawn, not just to, to my story, but to a lot of other like professional Jewish athletes. Do you feel like that? The, 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 I don't want to use the word stigma because I think it's the wrong word, but do, do you feel like we got into a place where th- this is going to be more common in coming years that you're going to see um, more Jewish kids that are breaking through and having great athletic success because there's a lot more, I feel like, representatives and role models like yourself for guys to look towards. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Why not? Is the question is right. I've been, I was given every opportunity, and being from Baltimore and 
But um, yeah, I don't see why they there can't be more um, more Jewish athletes in in professional sports. It seems been a great role model for all of us baseball players, and he was awesome to me and yeah. showing me how to act professional in that clubhouse. And yeah, I can't thank him enough. Man, there's a scenario that could play out. I, I what would it mean to you? I'm staring at August 22nd through 24th when the Blue Jays are back in Baltimore. <laughs> um, I get that it's not not a given that you're going to be back by then. But could you possibly describe what that would mean to you if you were to be here to be part of that series with a real chance that you could also maybe be facing Dean if that were the case? Yeah, that was – so I got caught up on, I believe it was the 15th or 16th. Yeah. And, yeah, that's when the Blue Jays were in Baltimore. So that was like, oh, that was so close to being right? something that was – it was already something that's – a dream come true, but to do it in Baltimore would have been, oh. that would have been unbelievable. I mean, that but, would have been um, one of the greatest stories of all time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I grew up going to Camden Yards and I grew up watching Manny and JJ and all those guys, Scope, Miguel Tejada. Like I was going to Camden Yards for years and I, I love that ballpark so much. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've taken some practice, I've played one practice there and taken some BP swings there, but to play a game there would be, uh, oh, my gosh, I couldn't even imagine. Uh, it's so cool to hear you talk about it. I, I get goosebumps sort of vicariously through you as you're talking about <laughs> it. Spencer, yeah. uh, who's given you the best? Like, what's what's something, you know, whether it was a player, a, you know, a coach, or even just, you know, somebody in your family, what's the best piece of advice that you've gotten that's maybe stayed with you on your journey to the bigs? Um, keep going. That's, that's been, I got a tattoo on my forearm that says keep going. And, uh, I got that from uh, a musical artist and it's going to, you're going to have highs, you're going to have lows, you're going to have in-betweens, but, and just keep going and everything will work out. And that's what I've been living my, living my life by. And, uh, that's, that's my plan right now. I'm not, I'm obviously not in the big leagues right now, but I'm going to keep going and try and get back there. Who's, who was the artist by the way? Uh, his name's Mike Studd, or he goes by Mike now. Okay. Just, uh, yeah, he played he played baseball at Duke, so we have that common that common ground. But um, yeah, he's a guy I've been following for a while. That's cool, man. That's cool. I I think it's a great advice, right? Like, uh, I, it's for you. It seems to be working, obviously. So, <laughs> I, I, how do you handle? You get up, you get all of that emotion, the excitement of it, then you get sent back down. Is it difficult at all to like get back on the bus? Is it difficult at all to like see the post game meal? Like, do you have to, I don't know, humble yourself again and be like, okay, okay, I, I just got more work to do. That's all I got to do. It, I, it actually did the opposite for me. It, it okay. motivated me way more. It's, um, yeah, I got, I got a taste of it. I got a taste of what the big leagues is like. I got a taste of the big crowds, the big stadiums, and that's what I want. I know that's what I want now. Yeah. And um, before it was a question of. Am I good enough to get there? Can I get there? Get there? Get there? Get there? And now it's it's slowly shifting to like I'm gonna try and get there and stay. And so yeah, I'd say getting sent down has has motivated me more and given me a new like rejuvenance. We're in we're starting to get into the dog days of end of June, early July, and I I feel as fresh as ever. That's awesome. That's awesome. And obviously the the numbers back it up, and you've been performing really well this season. It seems like it's just a matter of time before that next opportunity comes. Uh, Spencer Horowitz, such a cool story, dude. So happy for you. Uh, remi- you're not on Twitter, right? But you are on Instagram? 
Yeah, I'm on Instagram, not on Twitter. Spencer underscore Horowitz, right? Is where everybody can follow you on Instagram? Yeah, that's Instagram. Um, yeah, I, I, try to, I try to stay off the socials, but yeah, I'll be on there. I got a few like St. Paul's folks in my life, like my buddy uh, John Colson, and it's a really big deal to them. Like ju- just as Lamont Wade was like making a name for everybody for for St. Paul's baseball, right? Like to to see this follow up, I did not know that like there was a time. It's funny you bring up lacrosse being the bigger deal. I didn't realize that like forty years ago there was no baseball at St. Paul's. Like I had no idea yeah. that that was the case. Um, and I gotta imagine for you, it's it's pretty cool the love that you've gotten from the St. Paul's community and how big of a deal it's been. Yeah, St. Paul, I owe St. Paul so much so much to my life i've been i went there from fourth grade till graduation and um yeah i had some great coaches there and will desantis and pat walsh and they they didn't just help me on the field they helped me become a man and i i love the st paul's community so much and owe them a lot and yeah we've had a, a pretty good uh baseball baseball success with yeah. uh first with steve johnson yep. now with them with lamont having a great year again and then yeah I've, I've broken in there a little bit that's awesome man uh spencer congratulations on the debut it would be really cool to see you here in baltimore in august we'll be rooting for that again if you're here we won't root for you then like you understand how that works but we'll be rooting for <laughs> it to happen that you're here for that what a neat story it would be yeah. Th- thanks for taking a couple of minutes man we'd love to catch up again soon all right all right good good to see you spencer horowitz um just off his uh, major league debut with the blue jays last weekend Really cool story, and, uh, yeah, hope to see him back up at the bigs very soon, and uh, it'd be great to have him here in Baltimore. But awesome Baltimore story, and good for him, again, for now. And then when the Orioles play the Blue Jays in a big series later this season, may he go 0 for 14. You know, it's just the reality of the circumstances. Still to come this hour, Ryan O'Hearn. Perhaps you've heard of him. He's a baseball player of note who's doing some special things in his first season with the Baltimore Orioles. Speaking of the Orioles, later on today, 4 o'clock, Stan the Fan Charles, Ross Grimsley, Luke Jackson are getting together on Facebook Live, facebook.com slash Sports. talk some birds, talk some baseball. You won't want to miss that. But when we come back in, Ryan O'Hearn right here on GCR. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Dave Ginsburg remembers Goose as he looks back on the impact that late Tony Saragusa had both on and off the field here in Baltimore. Plus, he explains how Goose's kids are working to continue that legacy with the Goose Flights program. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles the path Tyler Wells has taken to becoming a star in the Orioles rotation. And you'll find a special summer travel guide with information about events and activities throughout the state. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the O's, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The All-America Senior Game, powered by New Balance, will be back at Johns Hopkins Homewood Field on July 29th. The most decorated girls and boys lacrosse players in the country have been invited to play in what is the premier lacrosse event of the year. Every college coach wants their players in this game, and if you dream of being in this game, you start by trying out for one of your regional underclass teams this summer. The best against the best. Get your tickets now at allamericalacrosse.com. Hey, Birdland, watch the Orioles in action against the Minnesota Twins at Camden Yards on Saturday, July 1st at 4.05. Be one of the first 30,000 fans 15 and over to receive the Birdland Hawaiian shirt. 
Arrive early for one of our most popular giveaways and for early bird Saturdays. Gates open two hours before first pitch every Saturday home game with happy hour, live music, and more. Enter vacation mode and purchase your tickets today at Orioles.com slash tickets. Your summer destination is closer than you think at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. With an expansive gaming floor and incredible dining options ready for you to explore, your adventure awaits. Dine at the new Coho Korean Barbecue House coming in July or on the patio at the Prime Rib. Enjoy the summertime breeze at Orchid Smoking Patio. Limited time packages starting at $229. What are you waiting for? Book now. At Arundel Mills, must be 21. Please play responsibly for help. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call one 800 gambler. Costas Inn has been serving up delicious steamed crabs for over 50 years. Lately, the crabs you want to eat when the weather warms up have gotten harder and harder to get. So get your crab eating game plan in place. Make sure to stick this number on your fridge 410 477 1975. Call ahead and reserve the size crabs you want. You may be able to walk in, but you may also be disappointed at the size or maybe even get shut out altogether. So call ahead, have a plan, and then arrive on your crab eating vacation. Costas also has delicious crab soup and crab cakes. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. For more than 50 years, they've been satisfying crab lovers in and around Baltimore. Make the most out of every day in your Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Check out PressBoxOnline.com every day to find daily winners and betting advice from Jeremy Kahn. And if you want some advice about life decisions that you probably shouldn't make, here's Glenn Clark. All right, back in here on GCR as we continue along on a Monday edition of the program. By the way, Mo Egger from out in Cincinnati, ESPN Radio, is going to join us later on this hour. And we will preview the series that may or may not get underway tonight here in Baltimore. I am leaning with that attitude. Come on. Dude, I mean, let's just, by the way, whether people are wrong constantly, I get it. I understand that, but it don't look good. Like it just does not look good for that. Uh, But hopefully it will. Everything will work out. And if not, then the series will happen this week and we will preview it. Uh, Mo Egger will join us later on this hour to uh, tell us about how the Reds have become one of the hottest teams in baseball over the last few weeks of the season. So that is on the way here in hour number two of the program. But before we do that, what a story it has been for our next guest since he arrived in Baltimore. Um, someone who I think most of us would say was not really on our radar all that much. Like We were aware that the Orioles had acquired him, but the expectations weren't all that overwhelming. And boy, has he ever surpassed them. He has been a revelation for this team this season. It's a pleasure to welcome in Oriole slugger Ryan O'Hearn, who is with us now here on GCR. Ryan, it's Glenn. It's so great to chat with you, man. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. Yeah, how you doing, Glenn? Hey, good to, I'm, good to I'm, be on and uh, good to talk to you. It's it's good to talk to you, dude. I imagine it's pretty good to be Ryan O'Hearn these days. Uh, other than uh, that bought a center field on Saturday. Other than... When Julio Rodriguez is waiting for you, it's been pretty good to be Ryan O'Hearn. <laughs> All right, before we, before we get into uh, the whole season, just take me through what is it like? Because we see your face and we see the reaction, but are are you able to tip your cap, or does like an inning later is it still bothering you that you got everything you wanted in that swing and it didn't result in a home run? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I think on a, on a normal day that ball probably gets out, right? But, um, 
it was really muggy that day, and uh, so the ball wasn't really flying like it usually does. And obviously, Julio Rodriguez is, um, you it's know, okay. he's a hell of a player. He made a good play there. Um, but yeah, I, I gave him a little little uh, smirk and a little tip of the cap when he was jogging off. Uh, you know, the cameras didn't catch it or anything like that. But uh, but yeah, uh, the next inning he gets the first, and he's kind of like smiling and giggling at me still. And I'm like, hey man, like nice nice play, but enough. Like we could have used those two runs in the eighth there. It right. Was a much less stress, much right. less stressful game. No doubt, man. But. Uh, yeah, you got to tip your cap like that. Guy's a, a phenomenal athlete, and um, you're obviously one of the best center fielders in the game. Uh, Ryan, if you could take me back to when you got traded in January. Take me back to, I'm sure, the disappointment of how things you know, had went and, and, and what you're trying to accomplish in Kansas City. Were, were you worried? Were you apprehensive? Was, was there ever a part of you that started to think, like, is it going to work out for me? Did you experience any of those feelings? as you jumped over to the Orioles earlier this year? Oh, of, of course. Um, you know, the challenge, I think, in this game is to just focus on the work, focus on showing up every day, you know, putting your best foot forward, working as hard as you can, and then when you get an opportunity to play a game, you know, you got to play with a, a grateful spirit and you got to, you know, put it all out there and play as hard as you can, not worry about failure and just and go do it. Um you know, but I've also I've seen so many stories in this game where, uh, you know, it's not a clean, it's not a, a a steady path to success, right? It's failure, it's ups and downs, it's you know, new organization, new team, and sometimes uh, it takes a, a change of scenery, I think, to kind of for things to click, maybe for you to reach your full potential and. Um, so when I got DFA'd originally by Kansas City, I was I was shocked because we had already agreed to a deal for the year. Um, so I that you know that salary was guaranteed. So I thought, okay, I'm in Kansas City. Another year in Kansas City. Here's another you know new coaching staff. Uh, a lot of guys. It's a different team than it has been the last few years. Hopefully, I'll get an opportunity to play. And you know, I was I was stoked to go to Kansas City, go back to Kansas City where I had felt very comfortable. And, um, you know, spent a lot of time. So when they, when they said they were going to designate me, um, and they, and they had said, you know, we hope you pass your waivers and you're still going to be on the team. We were mm. just basically delaying a, a decision on another pitcher. I was still like, okay, I'm going to Kansas city, whatever, you know, it's mm. not ideal to be off the roster. Um, but it is what it is, you know, continue to train and then got another call a few days later, you're going to those. So then I'm like, Awesome. You know, I always loved playing at Camden. The O's obviously did what they did last year, second half of last year. They sure. got a good team. So, uh, you know, very excited. And then immediately get DFA'd by the O's. <laughs> so, <they're, laughs> so it's like, okay. Uh, and then, you know, I noticed, hey, we're, you know, they're acquiring a lot of very similar players to myself. Uh, and good players, too. Very good players, Cordero, you know. Yeah, Cordero uh, and, and Franchi. Les, yeah. Lester, yeah. um, uh, Lou and Diaz, you yeah. know, like some really good players that are very, we're very similar to myself. And um, so, I mean, you know, and obviously I respect all those guys a lot, uh, good players. And um, so, you know, you have a choice. Can You, you can be butthurt about it um, or you can go into camp, you know, play your ass off, um, be the best teammate you can be kind of those 
non-negotiable things that I think you have to have to, to succeed in this game and, you know, not worry about the, uh, the GM aspect or the, you know, the roster moves or anything like that. And, and, um, you know, let that take care of itself. So I chose to do that. Came in spring training, loved every minute of it, loved the atmosphere, loved the guys. And, um, you know, I couldn't be happier to, uh, to be a no. Yeah. It's working out. Okay. That, that part is for sure. It's working out. All right. Ryan, you've talked about, um, the changes in your swing and, and can you, for those that don't know, can you take us through when you got here and started working with the guys here, what the thought process was, how comfortable you were with it. Because I feel like that's such a part of the story. When somebody when somebody gives you a thought or some advice, you know, you've been doing this for a long time, right? Like, wh- were you all all ears, hey, I'm willing to do things, I will trust you, I will listen to you? And, and tangibly, how much, how quickly did you notice the change as you were making these adjustments in your swing? Yeah, um... Well, a couple thoughts. I think hitting is one of those things that you're never going to master. You're never going to figure it out. You know, I mean, I think you probably go around the league and ask Miguel Cabrera, Joey Votto, you know, guys who have been doing it the longest. They're still learning. They're still trying to, you know, perfect things, and they're trying to get better at hitting because it's just one of those things where it's like, hey, I, you know, obviously the pitching is getting better, so the hitters have to get better. Um, and so I've kind of taken that mentality and – you know, I've had a lot of really good quality hitting coaches over the years. Um, and so I feel like I've kind of picked up and learned things from each of them. Um, and uh, when I got here to Baltimore or when I got to spring training, the main thing that they really stressed with me was, hey, if we can clean up your posture when you land, then you'll be able to get to pitches that have been kind of eating you up over the last few years. Um, you know, I've always hit the ball hard, um, but I think – I would hit the ball. I would hit the ball on the ground a lot, um, and, I, and there was probably a little more swing and miss. Um, so, but the main thing was really just cleaning up my posture uh, so that I could get to certain pitches. And and then it's like, okay, it becomes like, okay, how do you get to have that better posture when you land? So mm-hmm. there was a, a movement with my hands, um, uh, and then just a bunch of drill work. Really, just like getting a feel for what it should feel like in a game when I land, and then it was amazing how easier. It, almost immediately, it was amazing how much easier I could get to certain pitches mm. um, when I when I consistently landed with better posture. And then and then you know it's just human nature and hitting how it goes sometimes where you know you fall back into like maybe something you did, and sure enough, we check the video. It's like oh, there's your posture. Wow. You know, it's bad again. So um, just trying to stay on that consistency of if I know, I know that if I'm landing correctly and I have like some good rhythm and I land in a good spot, like I'm going to be able to get certain pitches. So it's just how consistent can I be at that? Um, And then, and then in a game, it's how consistent can you be at that without thinking about it? Because realistically in a game, the ball is, you know, going so fast and it's doing so many different things and you got to have a plan and what's the game situation. And there's so much going on that the last thing you want to be thinking about is how is my posture? So it's like, how can you get it so subconsciously ingrained in me to land in a certain way and have good posture and still give myself time to do whatever I need to do to execute my plan? Do you find yourself at like after an at bat saying, I know, I know that's what I, I, my, my landing was off. Do you find yourself saying that now? Like it's almost second nature. Yes. Well, Yes and no, because okay. sometimes I'll feel like it was, 
but and I'll go look in, on the video and I'll be like, well, that was a bad pitch. I shouldn't have okay. swung that pitch. Okay. So that's yeah. that's pretty much like swinging at balls is a non-negotiable. Like you can't you yeah. know consistently swing at balls and you know have success. But um, unless but yeah, unless you're Vladimir sure Guerrero, right? Like the Vladimir right. Guerrero yeah. senior. Yeah, there's a couple that you yeah. can name, but. Yeah. Uh, you know, Salvador Perez, guy I played sure. for a long time, sure. hammers pitches out of the zone. Yep. Don't understand how, but he does. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if it's a pitch that I should hit, I feel like I should hit, and I'll go back and check, and a lot of times it'll be like, sure enough, you know, hey, you're kind of falling back into the, some old habits. And and then the, these guys and these hitting coaches, Ryan Fuller, Bullock Schultz, uh, Cody Ashley, they're really good about like, Hey, let's get back to our, let's get back to what we're doing. Let's, you know, I show up early the next day, get back in the cage, get to working on the same drills and boom, the ball starts flying the right way. And then here we go. go. Ryan O'Hearn is with us here on GCR. Ryan, I feel like Orioles fans fell in love with you one afternoon in Toronto. What, what did that home run mean Uh to you? What did it do for you in sort of entrenching yourself here and, and knowing that you were going to be a part of this. Where is that moment kind of for you in everything you've done in your baseball career? You know, that's uh, it's definitely, I said it on air after the game. I think that's one of my favorite home runs I've ever hit. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, just because, you know, I had been on the team for a while at that point, but I think that moment kind of solidified that like, okay, this guy can help us. Um, it was off the closer in Toronto, mm-hmm. you know, a kind of a division rival, um, you know, we swept them that series. That was a big moment and what ended up being a sweep over Toronto, which ended up being a, just in the scheme of things and in that time of the season just kind of solidified us on the up, you know what I'm saying? Um, so, yeah, that was a big moment for me. And, um, you know, it was electric. It was, uh, you know, one of my favorite home runs I've ever hit. Yeah. Obviously, I, I like hitting them at home. It's sure, nice to right, hear the yeah, fans. I get that. Cheer yeah. you on at home. Yeah. But as far as home run, like for for as far as like hitting a home run on the road, that's one of my top ones I, for I, sure. A three run homer when you're down by three is pretty. It's a pretty freaking big deal late in the game. Man. Yeah, like, late when, in the game like that. Yeah, yeah. When, a game's, when a game's almost been written off, right? It was like, all right, it's not going your way. I, I mean, that is it is game changing, man. It was a huge moment. No doubt. I, we're feeling no it, doubt. right, right? Like we know how much fun this is because we're having fun too here. Right, like everybody's yeah. tasting it. How do you describe it to people that you know from around baseball? How do you describe it to the folks from back home? Like when somebody says, "Dude, what's it like being a part of this thing right now?" How do you describe it to them? I mean, the only way I can describe it is it's fun. It's it's like I enjoy going to the field every day. I enjoy the work. When the game starts, it's like we everybody in the in the dugout in the locker room, we look at each other and we know like we're about to put a beat down on somebody and uh it's you know it's unlike anything i've experienced in the game before um being on a team this talented you know you look and and see your name in the middle of a lineup that's got you know this kind of talent when you know felix and cano come in the game at the back end it's pretty damn good feeling to play defense behind those guys and really all those guys in the in the bullpen they've been so electric all year um, you know, just so much confidence in anybody who comes out of there and the starters. It's just, it's, uh, it, it's, it's hard to describe, but it's, it's fun to show up to work every day. Um, it's fun to be a part of a team that's got such good, you know, it's such a close knit group with those guys, those, um, you know, the young guys that came up together, the core, 
you know, the, the Adley and Gunner and, um, you know, you go down the list, all those guys. Um, it's just, it's just been really fun to be a part of. Um, and coming from, you know, I love my time in Kansas city. I really did. Sure. Uh, I love the people in Kansas city, but I'll tell you what I've, I'm really enjoying being in Baltimore and, um, being on the Orioles and, uh, just, you know, do whatever I can to help out this team and, and, uh, get to know these guys and be a part of it. It's been uh, such a blessing for me and, um, you know, a really enjoyable season so far. You know, look, man, winning, winning is always going to make a culture, right? Like there's just nothing better than winning, but no I, doubt. I feel like it goes beyond that with this team. Right. And I feel like, it's something I've tried to talk about when it comes to Brandon Hyde. When somebody asks me about Brandon Hyde, like being the the, the manager of a culture like this, you, you got to give some credit to that guy. And I was wondering if you could try to explain that to me. Like it, what you said about fun, it permeates. It, everybody sees it. And again, some of that ultimately is about winning. But I got to imagine it's something beyond just winning. And it's personality. It's it's letting guys do certain things. Can you describe that part of it to me and maybe the role that Brandon Hyde plays in all of that? Yeah, I'll do my best. Uh, it's, I t- first of all, Hyder is the absolute man. Um, it's been so fun playing for him and, uh, you know, getting to know him and, and uh, really the entire coaching staff. You know, there's, there's not a bad person in the entire building. I'll tell you that right now. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been extremely enjoyable. I don't, you know, it's, it's a very loose group. Um, everybody wants to have fun and, uh, there, you know, there's always some kind of competition, some kind of game, some kind of, you know, there's all, it's always a lighthearted, loose environment in the clubhouse, but then there's also like an unspoken kind of, it's known that, Hey, when it's time to work, like we get serious and we lock in and we're here to win. Like, we're not just here to like mess around. Um, so it's just such a good balance of like intensity and fun at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like nobody, you know, it's when it's time to get intense and, and, uh, you know, lock it in and, and do our job. Everyone does it. No questions asked. Nobody has to be motivated. It's just known that that's what we do. But at the same time, you know, it's uh, the clubhouse is hilarious. Like there's so much stuff going on. So many, all the pitchers are just ridiculous. They got the games, you know, and, um, that's the only way I can describe it. It's just a perfect balance of, you know, intensity and then uh, lightheartedness. And, and um, you know, because at the end of the day, it's a kid's game. and We all, you know, we all are a bunch of big kids. You know, we love to play the game and we love to joke around and goof around. And um, I think it's a special environment because there's a really good mix of those two things. We saw you were out on the golf course with the boys a couple weeks ago. I was talking to McKenna about it. Um, tell me that given your size. McKenna shoots 172, and then he tells the media about it. <laughs> public knowledge. Who, all right, take me through how everybody performed that day. And I, I'd like to think that a man your size, you're like piping like 275-yard drives. Like, you know. You, you, 275, that's all you got for Oh, me? all right. I want it, okay, then go ahead. What are you piping your drives? Come on. Come on. Come on, three, three, uh, 325. No, no, no. That's Aaron Hicks. Yeah. Aaron Hicks is the ball 325. But but he like okay. We you don't you can't count Aaron Hicks right because he had to like get like private lessons from Tiger at some point, didn't he? <laughs> I played with him the other day. It was pretty impressive to watch. Dude, um, he I, smashes the driver and and he smashes the driver and then every every approach shot is just like a kick in birdie or it's it's easy bars. That's not, it's, that's I, not I'm fair. Like, it's not fair. I'm like, 
I'm grinding around the green, like just trying to survive. And this man's got a kick in birdie every other hole. I don't understand, you know. So okay, so what is the area of the game that needs to improve the most for you? Is just 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 you know, from you you pipe a drive out, now you got to land it on the green, and it's an adventure at that point. It's the putter for sure. Okay. Um, when the putter is good, it's just okay. You know what I'm saying? I get when it. When the putter is bad, it's really bad. Yeah. It's like three putt city. Oof. It's like bogey, 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 bogey. Oof. Um, but um, you know, I enjoy it. I enjoy playing golf. I love to hit the ball. Love to. In the off season, I'll try. I'll get out more, and I'll probably try to lock in that putter. Um, but uh, you know, lately it's been tough. Have you played? And I, and I, but I, I have a new putter too, though. So I've been, I've been trying to get used to this new putter. So yeah. maybe I'll just uh, blame it on that. Is it a longer putter? You're not trying to do like the Ian Poulter, like the belly putter thing, are you? No, no, it's yeah. it's like a Spider uh, GT Tour. It doesn't have a ball picker upper, which uh, is a problem. Okay, it's <laughs> a little annoying. Over yeah, right. <laughs> as soon as I ordered it, Fraser told me immediately. He's like, "Man, you're gonna wish you had a ball picker upper." And I was like, "Nah, no way." Yeah, spending uh, spending my, eighteen holes picking up balls when you got to play baseball every day. That's, right? That seems hey, like it a looks bit good, though. Yeah. It looks good. That's cool. Yeah, I get the cool factor is real. Have you played anywhere locally? Have you checked out any local courses? So the only place I played locally is uh, Caves Valley. Okay, that's not a bad one, by the way. I mean, I literally just had with the, the BMW there oh, two beautiful. years ago. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, beautiful golf course, dude. Uh, Cantley and DeChambeau like played four uh, playoff holes at the at Caves. It was one of the most compelling things I've ever seen in my life two years ago. It was unbelievable competition. Yeah, um, I think I remember somebody that day talking about that. Dude, it was. And I'm telling you, I'm not even a big golf guy. Like, But that day, I was glued. And it was a great event. It was awesome really? going out there. It was hot as hell, but who cares? Yeah, cool. yeah, it was really cool, man. What else? What else are you yeah. into? What else should we know about Ryan O'Hearn before I let you go? Uh, I mean, as far as like hobbies go, yeah, like, yeah. I'm not I'm, I'm not a I'm not a very good fisherman. Uh, I'm not a very good hunter. I'll go if okay. my friends or buddies want to go. Yeah, I would not say yeah. that I'm like a world class at either of those two. We things. have that in um, common, you and I. I mean, like we have so many things in common. <laughs> we're both really we're both piping drives three hundred yards, right? Like we're both no, no. That's there you not, go. That's not the case at all. Hey, I believe in you. Yeah, no, don't, <laughs> don't. I I. I <laughs> But I like that kind of stuff. I just, truthfully, I just don't have a ton of patience. I'm not I get a, it. extremely patient with that. But, um, no, I, I um, fans should know that I'm going to, any day I get a chance to play, I love it. I love to play baseball. I love to compete. Awesome. I'm going to leave it all out there. I'm gonna, I, I'm not a most flashy player, but I'm definitely, um, you know, I'm a grinder. And uh, I'm enjoying being a part of the O's. Um yeah, I think it's going to be a great season, continue to be a great season, and um, you never know where we're going to end up. You know, the boys in the locker room are pretty confident in ourselves, and, um, you know, we're just excited to keep this thing rolling. Well, and um, I'm a very average golfer. Those are the two things you can take <laughs> away from this interview. Hey, dude, as long as uh, – if you keep hitting balls the way you've been hitting them on the baseball field, we won't care at all about the golf thing. Um, I, <laughs> seriously, it's – the, the team is so much fun, but it's it's awesome seeing your story and how this has played out for you, man. So happy for you. Uh, appreciate really, that. Really appreciate you taking the time for us, dude. Congratulations so far. Can't wait to see what's next. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's uh, Ryan O'Hearn, the Baltimore Orioles.
great dude, obviously. Great dude. And it makes a lot of sense when we talk about that culture that uh, exists within the clubhouse. You can see the complete role that he plays within that culture that exists within the Orioles clubhouse. And, yeah, has been truly a revelation this season and has been awesome. So appreciate him taking the time for us here on a Monday edition of the program. If you've not picked up the new print issue of PressBox yet, encourage you to do it right now. It's free at your neighborhood Royal Farms, any of the hundreds of locations around town where you find PressBox. You can read it all at PressBoxOnline.com. Tony Siragusa is on the cover. It is a very special issue. One year later, celebrating the life and legacy of Tony Siragusa and an amazing cover story from Dave Ginsburg about how his family is continuing his awesome legacy with the Goose Flights program. Um, really special issue, and it has been flying off newsstands, so I would go get yours because Stan Charles told me they've been having to refill already, and it's only been out for a little bit more than a week, so I would go right now and pick up your copy of Press Box with Tony Siragusa on the cover. Really special issue, celebrating his legacy a year after we lost Tony Siragusa. All right, uh, tonight we are hoping, again, does not look great, but we're hoping that the Orioles will be able to start a series, and what an exciting series this is. This is for baseball fans this week here in Baltimore. I pray the weather holds up a little bit because, my God, this is everything you can ask for. Orioles, Reds, this is the good stuff. Joining us now to preview the Cincinnati Reds, he is a, a, a absolutely synonymous with Cincinnati sports. ESPN 1530 out in Cincinnati. He's Mo Egger, and he's with us now here on GCR. Mo, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's great to chat with you. I can only imagine how exciting things have been in Cincinnati of late. Thank you for taking the time for us. It's been a lot of fun. should be fun this week. Dude, it should be a lot of fun this week. Um, the dumb question, how did this happen, right? Like, what what was it? Obviously, it helps to get Nelly De La Cruz in the mix. But how did things change for the Cincinnati Reds that they have become one of the hottest teams in baseball? I think what they did is amid all the noise of ownership and, quote, where are you going to go from Phil Castellini and all the disaffection that people have felt about the direction the Reds chose to go in, where they you know, moved on from so many established players, traded away some guys, basically broke up a team in 2021 that had an 83-win season, and I think maybe with a handful of moves could have been even better last year. Instead, they decided to go all in on youth. They decided to shave a bunch of payroll. And amid all the anger about that, what they did is they built a pretty nice pipeline of, of really good young players through drafting and also through acquiring some guys uh, from other teams for those established players. And they've all kind of gotten here at basically the exact same time. I mean, you know, Matt McClain, who's been absolutely on fire, wasn't promoted until the middle of May. Obviously, Ellie De La Cruz has been a big leaguer for less than three weeks. Andrew Abbott has really been a savior for the starting rotation. Mm -hmm. Didn't give up a run in either of his first three starts. Uh, he got up here and was called up the day before Ellie De La Cruz. They, they traded for Spencer Steer, who was the rookie of the month for the month of May. They have the, the rookie of the year from two years ago, Jonathan India, who's, you know, I think really sort of become the, the vocal leader of this team. They just all of a sudden have promoted or acquired and then promoted at pretty much the same time a bunch of really good young players, and they also reside in the national good. So the playoff chances are certainly boosted by the company around them. Yep. But yeah, it's 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 they've they've suddenly almost overnight gotten good, 
because they promoted all of their good players at basically the same time. It, it seems like a story that's not all that dissimilar from what the Orioles did. It took the Orioles a little bit longer, obviously, because they completely emptied the <laughs> cupboard in order to get there. But I, I think the other thing that, that makes this series so intriguing is the style of baseball. And I, I think it's what has made it, people in Baltimore fall in love with the Orioles. It's, it's a fun brand of baseball. And it, it, that's the thing that I keep as I watch Reds games of late and, and hear everybody talking about them. It's, it's not just that they're winning. It's that they're playing such a damn exciting brand of the sport, correct? Yeah, you know, they have a, a athletic, energetic club. So there's the, the sort of personality of the team, which I think is infectious. These guys, you know, you, you watch baseball long enough. It's a day-in and day-out sport. You can tell the teams that really love to play, really love to play with and for each other. And I think that applies to this team. I think the other thing they've, do, they've done, though, offensively is they're, they're sort of a counter to what we've come to expect from, you know, modern-day baseball teams in which, you know, they, they certainly have some guys who can hit the long ball. Ellie De La Cruz, obviously, you know, his exploits in the minor leagues have been renowned. He's had three home runs since he uh, got here about three weeks ago. But they're really aggressive running the base path, yep. sometimes to their detriment, but you're going to have that. They really continuously put pressure on opposing defenses, that they're not a high strikeout team. They're good at putting the ball in play. I, I, I'm not the, the world's biggest fan of, quote, little ball, because I think bunting is an antiquated strategy. But when they've employed it, usually. Uh, and I, I think that's a more aesthetically pleasing brand of ball. You know, when you've got teams, when you've got guys who are willing to go from first to third, when you've got guys who are hopping out of the box and taking the extra base, when you've got a team that is continually forcing the other team's defense to do something, it's fun to watch. And when it works, which it has obviously recently, it's even more fun to watch. Uh, we're chatting with Mo Egger from ESPN Radio out in Cincinnati. He's with us on GCR ahead of Orioles-Reds this week. Uh, Mo, again, as it feels like I'm, I'm doing like the Spider-Man theme or the Spider-Man meme with the Orioles and the Reds, the other part <laughs> of it is like there's more coming, correct? Like this is not the end of the pipeline for the Reds. And – there's, I know there might not be another Ellie De La Cruz, but it seems like there's reason to think that there could be even more reinforcements on the way, right? I, I think about, I think it was two weeks ago, they had the reigning player of the week in their respective leagues in three different levels of minor league baseball. Yeah. You know, starting at Double A, working all the way down. Uh, they've got a kid in Louisville right now at Triple A, Christian Encarnacion Strand who had better numbers at Louisville than Ellie De La Cruz when Ellie got called up. The problem is there's really nowhere to put him. And I, I think he's fascinating because as we talk about, you know, what the Reds might do close to the deadline, is he a piece they're going to be willing to move on from? Is he a guy they're going to hang on to and, and basically make him the heir apparent to Joey Votto one day? Uh, they, uh, you know, in, in talking with people who cover farm systems, and this was happening during a period of time, in which nobody wanted to hear this because everybody was so mad. And I think to a large degree, understandably so, they were so mad at Red's ownership that when you would get people on to, to talk about the farm system, they kind of rolled their eyes hmm. or they didn't want to hear it. They didn't hmm. want to hear that, you know what, the baseball ops people under this mandate of go young, go cheap, they're doing a pretty good job of talent accumulation now you're starting to see the result of that at the big league level, and you're right. If you listen to those same folks, they will tell you, like, there's more to come. And, and part of that is a byproduct of being bad for so many years, so you're drafting early. 
but I think they've done a really good job of, of, of building the pipeline of, of quality young players. I think, unfortunately, for the short term, you know, their starting pitching just has to get better right. if this team is, is legitimately going to contend this year. It doesn't feel like there's a solution in the offense in the minor leagues for them for the rest of this season. But as we talk about, you know, the middle of the decade, yeah, I, I think you're being I think you're being reasonable if you expect what they're doing now to really be just the beginning. It's so everything that you're portraying is so similar to all the conversations, <laughs> man. I, I mean, like, I, the Spider-Man meme is perfect for this because we have had every single one of these conversations <laughs> the last few years, including the, the the pitching thing, right? Like that, if you look at the Orioles right now, somebody would say, "Well, aren't they a World Series contender?" And I would say, eh, "I just don't think there's quite enough pitching." Obviously, I think it's a step beyond that in Cincinnati. Uh, you mentioned Abbott. We're, we're slated to see him tomorrow night. I, what do we need to know about it? Because the numbers just jump off the page so far. What is he doing that he has been off to such an absurd start? Uh, he doesn't try to throw the ball past everybody. He, he looks like a guy who just legitimately knows how to pitch. Uh, he, he can throw it hard, but he, he doesn't live and die with, I'm going to have to throw it 97 behind you. In, in order to get you out. Uh, he, he's, I hate this term, at times he has shown a willingness to pitch the contact. He, he also throws strike one. I mean, you know, it, it's sometimes not that hard. Uh, the the uh, color analyst on the Reds radio network, Jeff Brantley, who obviously pitched for years at the time, you know, for, for all of the ways in which we break down pitch, throw strike one, tend to do better than the guys who start one and up. And, and he has, I think, shown a willingness to be as a very young pitcher to stand on that mound and, and challenge a hitter early, get ahead of him. And then he's got a pretty good repertoire with which he can work from, uh, from there. Uh, and he, you know, they, they, have, they have Hunter Green and they have Graham Ash, adult guys who could just whiz it past you. Andrew's a little bit different, but so far the results have been really good. And then the other guy I feel like we have to talk about is Diaz, right? Like, what, what, you know, tell me about him. And it feels like this is, again, very similar to what the Orioles have figured out. When you can be very confident in the back end of your bullpen, it goes a long way in making a team believe that you can win games. Yeah, you know, he's kind of the tip of the iceberg. Uh, for, for years, the Reds have had a bad bullpen. And, and this year, I think what Nick Crawl, the GM, has done is done a really good job of. Of, of putting together a quality pen, but it, it starts with Alexis Diaz at the end, who has been, I think, the best closer in baseball so far this season. And I think illustrative of what life is like in a smaller market, you, you can heard or read over the last uh, two or three months about how, well, Alexis Diaz would be a great fit for the New York Yankees, or he'd mm-hmm. be a great fit for the New York Mets, or a mm-hmm. great fit for the LA Dodgers, and I'm going... Why? Um, uh, yes, he would be a great fit. He's in his second season. He's making no money. He's, he's under team control forever. Oh, and by the way, the, the Reds have a chance in the National League Central. Uh, he really has solidified that back of the bullpen. I, I think they could probably, if they're being honest with you, they would still like to, to find somebody who they trusted completely in the eighth inning or maybe the seventh. Sure. But, you know, everybody obviously is familiar with his brother, who obviously you know suffered that injury while uh, pitching in the World Baseball Classic. Otherwise, would be helping the uh, the New York Mets. Alexis Diaz was terrific last year. When you lose a hundred games, you obviously don't get a chance to close out that many. Yeah. But he was terrific last season, and even better this year. 
At Mo Egger on Twitter, that's how you follow him. Um, Mo, I, again, we're praying because the, the the forecast just looks awful for tonight. So we're praying for this to work out, for there to be a three-game series and an exciting uh, – this, this is for baseball fans this week. This is the one, man. Like, this is everything you could ask for. I know how much fun it is and how much more fun it is when a baseball team is performing well within a city. Everybody always thinks that what we do for a living, it's good when the team loses. We know that's not true. My God, the excitement that it brings. I Seeing those crowds in Cincinnati this weekend, that's awesome. It's just an awesome, awesome thing. So um, I, I hope you're enjoying it as well. I hope it's great for business out there. Really appreciate you taking the time to tell us more about it this morning. You know, I said on my show last week, it's, it's fun to actually, when we talk baseball, talk baseball. Right. And uh, I'm sure that's the same for you. It's yep. a lot of fun. Yep, no doubt, man. Mo, appreciate you, dude. Thanks for doing this this morning. Anytime. You got it. Mo Egger from out in Cincinnati with us here on GCR. It really is very, like, it, there's so much similarity there. You know, J- like, I would compare Joey Votto to Trey Mancini at the beginning of the turnaround. Joey Votto's a far better player. No offense to Trey, who we love. But, you know, Votto is a Hall of Fame caliber player, whereas Trey was a good player. But there are parallels between what the Reds are doing and what the Orioles are trying to do. The Reds maybe didn't rip it down quite as much as the Orioles did, but there's a lot of parallels there, man, in the excitement and the life that it breathes into a city. Cincinnati's a great baseball city, too. Like, they love baseball in Cincinnati. I was just out there for a game a couple years ago with Patrick Stevens, and they weren't even all that good, and it was a Saturday night, and the place was packed and jumping, and there's just something about baseball in Cincinnati that's hard to describe, and... uh yeah, part of that is probably the Bengals were so bad for so long that like that was the Reds were what that city had, and then when the Reds have had this little dip recently where the Bengals have gotten good, it there's a parallel, right? Like we didn't have football in Baltimore for a little while, and baseball was everything, and so you're reminded every time the Orioles get good again of what a great baseball city Baltimore is. Whereas people try to say like, oh, you don't have that many people with it. Like, no, no, no. When the team's good, right? There is yeah. life here. Whenever the, those highlights, you know, from the 2014 wow. season God. come around, yeah. the, the stadium's packed. So, um, yeah, very cool. Very cool, and we will look forward to that uh, whenever that series starts. God, I just wish there wasn't. I, it would be so much nicer if we didn't have to put in that caveat every time. Like, if, like the forecast well, we looked great. We, we could stop, just not. Stop. No, we have to because it just does not look great. But uh, it's what it is. Um, the Orioles did make the roster move, kind of as expected. Joey Ortiz is the guy to go in favor of Jordan Westberg, and that's not surprising, as we mentioned. It's just now with one more infielder on the team, fewer opportunities. Again, that was the the formality. That doesn't address the real question. The real question is, now what? What does this look like? Should we make our predictions? Or should we predict, predict the lineup tonight? No, we're not going to do that. We don't even think they're going to play a game tonight. <laughs> you Stop. don't think they're going to play? They're not. Great. Um, you know that. Th- okay, they got through that part of the process. They have announced a roster move. Now we learn what the role will be for Jordan Westberg moving forward, and what it means more importantly for someone, someone who has been getting regular playing time, that now likely won't get regular playing time unless. The Orioles try to force the issue that we talked about earlier of Jordan Westbrook playing at different spots every day, and I am just not in favor of that. So that's the part that they won't they won't even announce that. We're going to have to infer that. And the first lineup might not even like you know, we'll see the first lineup if Westberg's at, at batting ninth. Well if no, I'm saying if he's at third and uh, okay. 
and uh, Henderson's at short, then we'll all say, well, that means Mateo's done. Well, we'd still need to see that for like two more days. They are throwing a lefty tonight, too, so that might Okay, like so that does mix absolutely mix things up a little yeah. bit. There's no doubt about it. Okay, tonight. <laughs> they, tonight. Uh, but it, it, is a, it is an answer that we'll get as the week goes on, is what it means for everyone else, which is, again, the far more compelling part of this conversation. I mean, the, I guess the most compelling part is Jordan Westberg. Like, what's he going to do as a Major League Baseball player? And then the next compelling part is, what does it mean for someone else? And then, what do you do about that? That's what we'll see moving forward. All right, when we come back in, we are going to find out what else has been going on in the world of baseball. We're going to give Grant his opportunity, his first shot at uh, this week in the rest of baseball, which means something to people that are a certain age, and the rest of you have no idea what this week in baseball meant to uh, culture. It was a very, very important television show. Read a book. So we'll come back in. We'll do that. We'll get a tidbit and two-bit to wrap up. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Another exciting weekend of affordable family fun at Prince George's Stadium with the Bowie Bay Sox. It's our Independence Weekend celebration starting on Friday the 30th with our Pride Night. A special ticket package gets you a Bay Sox rainbow hat. And then July 1st through 3rd, major fireworks shows each and every night with a special jersey auction on sale. Get your tickets now by calling 301-805-6000 or anytime online at baysox.com. The Bowie Bay Sox, let us be your nine-inning vacation. The All-America Senior Game, powered by New Balance, will be back at Johns Hopkins Homewood Field on July 29th. The most decorated girls and boys lacrosse players in the country have been invited to play in what is the premier lacrosse event of the year. Every college coach wants their players in this game, and if you dream of being in this game, you start by trying out for one of your regional underclass teams this summer. The best against the best. Get your tickets now at allamericalacrosse.com. Are you a diehard O's fan looking for the perfect way to show your team spirit? Look no further than Birdland Sports. Birdland Sports is a small business run by fans for fans. They offer a wide variety of unofficial O's merchandise from the Birds Are Coming tees to player cartoon shirts and more. And the best part? Their prices are more affordable than the big guys. So head to BirdlandSports.com and grab your gear today. Show your support for the Birds with Birdland Sports. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Dave Ginsburg remembers Goose as he looks back on the impact that late Tony Saragusa had both on and off the field here in Baltimore. Plus, he explains how Goose's kids are working to continue that legacy with the Goose Flights program. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles the path Tyler Wells has taken to becoming a star in the Orioles rotation. And you'll find a special summer travel guide with information about events and activities throughout the state. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the O's, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich, hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Hey, O's fans, cheer on the Orioles against the Minnesota Twins at 7.05 on Friday, June 30th at Camden Yards. Be one of the first 20,000 fans, 21 and over, to receive an Orioles floppy hat presented by Miller Lite and enjoy a fun-filled floppy Friday at the yard. 
Don't miss out on one of your favorite giveaways and stay post-game for the Birdland Summer Music Series presented by Miller Lite with DJ Diesel, a.k.a. Shaquille O'Neal. Purchase your tickets today at Orioles.com slash tickets. If you miss anything on the show, don't forget that you can watch full episodes at YouTube.com slash online, and you can download podcasts on Apple, iTunes, Amazon, and Grindr. Wait, did I say Grindr? I don't think that you would find it on Grinder. Not that I know what's on Grinder or anything, I swear. Second thought, you know what? I don't care what you think. Here's Glenn. The other part of the uh, roster move, Jose Godoy is uh, designated for assignment, accepts uh, the assignment to Norfolk, so he'll stick around in the Orioles system, but they needed a spot on the 40-man roster for Jordan Westberg, and now they've got it that way. So, yes, Jordan Westberg with the Birds. Joey Ortiz no longer at the major leagues, and Jose Godoy off the 40-man roster. Those are the relevant parts of what the Orioles did so far. We will see about the rest of it. All right, thanks again to Ryan O'Hearn. He was awesome. He was so cool. Appreciate that conversation. Now, we talk a lot of Orioles on this show. What we don't do as much is cover the rest of baseball. So uh, Grant, Grant DeVivo, who we introduced you to last week, He's going to be hanging out with us sporadically this summer. And as you know, every time we have an intern here, they are responsible for a segment. Grant's a baseball guy. So we introduced to you, and we'll work on some imaging for it, this week in the rest of baseball. So we, of course, cover all the Orioles stuff, but there are other things that happen that because we're talking Orioles so freaking Orioles. Did I say Oreos? We do talk a lot of Oreos, though, Orioles. for what it's worth. Yeah, we we talk a lot of Oreos. We do a lot of Oreo content. There is a lot of that. Ironically. Um, uh, because we're talking so much about that and other relevant local sports, we don't we don't always get to cover everything else that's happening. So Grant, uh, when he's here, is going to highlight a few other things happening in the world of baseball that are worthy of conversation. What do you have for us first this week, Grant? Well, to start off, that Dodgers-Astros series, a lot of drama going on there. It's never a good day to be a Houston Astro when you're playing in Dodger Stadium. Bring his but level up, please. Or his game, something. Uh, whatever you got to do. Yes, go ahead. Keep going, Grant. So yeah. never really a good day to be an Astro when you're at Dodger Stadium. Of course, they have not, the fans there have not let up the cheating scandal from 2017. But right. yesterday, it was a good day to be Freddie Freeman on the Dodgers' side. A uh, longtime Atlanta Brave and now current Los Angeles Dodger got his 2,000th career hit yesterday uh, in their match against the Houston Astros. He now sits 290th. She called a like, match, Grant. As Are you as nervous? A, Is that what's going on here? Probably a little right, bit. Right. Yeah, yeah. We got to we got to ease up. We got to shake all that out. We got to shake all that out. Because I look, I still make plenty of mistakes. Mm-hmm. But they're not about nerves. They're just about my brain moving faster than my mouth does. Right. So let's shake out the nerves. Because you definitely called it a match. I did. I don't know where that would come from. No um, clue either. Yeah. Baseball so match. Let's shake no. it. No, no. Don't <laughs> don't attempt to try to make it a thing. It's not a thing. Go ahead. Try it again. So Freddie Freeman in the game yesterday there we versus go. the yeah. Houston Astros collected his 2,000th career hit. He was two for five overall on the day yesterday with a RBI double. That was in the eighth inning off of Astros pitcher Rafael Montero. It was a 92 mile per hour change to be pulled. I uh, got a big standing ovation yesterday, of course, as a fan favorite all around the game. I uh, was a fan favorite for the longest time in Atlanta sure. and still is with the Dodgers and a huge milestone. 2,000 career hits. He's the second player this year to achieve that milestone. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon received his 2,000th hit early in the year. That's for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, and there's a few other players I could possibly reach 2K this year. The most the standout name that comes to mind is Jose Altuve. He sits at 
1,961. He would have been probably a little bit closer right now if he didn't have the injury to start the season. Um, that took about two months of his season away to start. And then Evan Longoria is not far behind him. He could easily Makes achieve sense. it within this year or next year. So um, this is the difficult part. Like 2,000 hits is, is a milestone. It's notable, but it's not really alone. Like nobody gets in the Hall of Fame because they had 2,000 hits. You got to you know get to 3,000 yes. for that regard. And Freddie Freeman at this point in his career – probably not going to get there although i remember when nick markakis got the 2000 we were all talking about that well yeah. no it like we thought that was going to be his accomplishment and then we kept kind of looking at the math and he was having some productive seasons and we were like dude is there a chance like is there some possibility that he could grind this thing out long enough in order to get there and a guy that no one ever talked about as being a hall of fame caliber player could end up getting there the pandemic was sort of the last straw with nick markakis right like he at that point, was 36 years old yeah, and losing the majority of that season. So he finished with 2388. Let's just say they would have had a full season. So he finished with 33 hits. Let's project that out. Maybe another 100. 2,400 something. Let's say they had another 100 hits. He's in the neighborhood of 2,500. He's close. Does he then try to just stick around until he gets in order to get to 3,000 hits? Now, this is the weird part about Nick Markakis. I don't think he's that guy. No, he never was. But damn if I wouldn't be compelled at that point, at try. 37, to try to say, let me find some teams. Let me just find, if it's not the Braves, because you know they're trying to win a World Series and they feel like they need to do a little bit better, let me find some teams. Because we're talking about only needing to grind it out until your early 40s. Like If you can keep even getting like 100 hits... Yeah, you need to have like 125 hits per season for another three years. You're right there where you could not even have to be an everyday player, but eke it out if you wanted to try to get the 3,000. And then what do you do, right? Like if you're a Hall of Fame voter and you got Nick Markakis, who no, like Freddie Freeman's on the radar as a Hall of Famer oh, yeah. for sure. First ballot, maybe even. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Possibly, yeah. You know, like they're arguable. He'll stick around for a while for sure to and, get that. Uh, yeah. How old is Freddie Freeman right now? He's got to be what, north, close to thirty-five. I would assume. Older. I would thirty-three. Assume. He's only thirty-three. Yeah, he's only 33. Okay. I mean, I mean, he's got a real chance. His birthday's in September. So, September, so he'll be thirty-four then. But he, he's was he on that Braves team? No. Yeah, he yeah, won he the World Series. One hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, he won the World Series. Uh, yeah, he's got. So if you know, if he has three more seasons of two hundred hits, four more years of that contract left, he's there. I mean, like you know, if he wants to, if he wants to drag it out long enough, but that's it's the eternal question. Some guys played for longer in the past because they didn't quite make as much money. These guys are making such absurd amounts of money now that there's a part of them that says, and if Freeman feels comfortable that he's going to get into the Hall of Fame, even if he doesn't get the 3,000 hits, then I don't think he's as inclined to drag this thing out to where he's playing at 40. And again, at that point, what team are you on in order to try to do that? Are you asking... You know, Atlanta to take you back as a part-time player because, right. like, hey, you know, I you, you love me, right? Is this like, what do, Elvis Andrews' uh, plan is? You think? I right know he's where he, is Elvis Andrews? He's in Chicago. Chicago. White but where, I mean, where is he on? No, he like he, he like just hit two thousand. I think. Or actually, he might have more. I don't know how many. Andrews has, yeah, two thousand thirty-six. Now okay. he is thirty-four. Four. Yeah. Although he, I, I mean, I guess just as an infielder, it seems like he doesn't. I mean, the problem is he just hasn't been. I think that back. Maybe I just haven't been paying attention. I mean, he's definitely he's not been like, as productive. There's no question yeah. he's not been as productive. Yeah, he's 34 right now. Yeah, 
He's like OPSing like 600 this year. I think last year too. He's like, not even. He's not even he's playing. Not, OPSing not even. 548 Oof. this season. Oof. Yeah, I don't. Think, I don't think there's a chance in hell no. for Elvis Andrews. Oh, no. I don't think that he. Can. Well, he just sticks he's not around. even playing any day but anymore. I, I don't think but, that he's going to get the opportunity to stick around because no, he's not yeah. nearly productive enough to be able to do it. Freddie Freeman's still wildly productive. Right. right. He's going to be given the opportunity. He might. He he wouldn't get there in his prime. But he would be close enough to his prime that someone would still take him on, you know, if he really wanted to pursue 3,000 hits. But, again, if you've made as much money as Freddie Freeman has and you've already won a World Series, are, are you driven to, I want to get to this particular milestone, or are you more inclined to say, I think I'm going to be in the Hall of Fame anyway. I'm good. I'll, I'll fall short, and that'll be fine. I'm comfortable that I was one of the best players at my position of an era, and that's enough that I'll get in, so I don't feel the need to force the issue to try to reach this particular milestone. I, I just I think fewer players are going to drag it out the way that players did in the past, because part of the past was, if I, we'll, if I can still make money playing baseball, I'm going to make money playing baseball, yeah. because they weren't the gazillionaires that baseball players are today. Do you think we see like a shift then in the, I guess the 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 margin for Hall of Fame status? Like, do we see like you know, I, I if Freddie Freeman's not you know like the guys that we saw from the '90s and in the early 2000s. If you're saying doesn't he doesn't, the same if he stats, doesn't, yeah, he doesn't have the same right, stats. So how does that impact the voting then? Right, and then mm. we might see a shift in them. Like, well, yeah, Freddie Freeman is still you know a Hall of Famer, and he just maybe he didn't have the longevity that some of these guys had. Um, it, it, the stat line longevity. Well, I, okay, if what you're asking is, are, is the Hall of Fame going to be a strident about these certain numbers? No, because these numbers are largely going to go away. Now, again, the flip side argument would have been what would the Hall of Fame have done had Nick Marquez gotten to 3,000 hits? Like, he's in no way was considered a Hall of Fame caliber baseball player. But if he had, there had been no pandemic and if he had forced the issue out and played until he was 43 and stuck around to get to 3,000 hits, then what do you do if you're the Hall of Fame? Because you've always, it's not every player that has 3,000 hits is in the I Hall of Fame. So. It's every player that's not a steroid user that has had 3,000 hits or not a a thought of steroid user is in the hall of fame. So what, how would you have handled that? I, I, they have very clearly, there is no rule that you got to get 3000 hits. You got to get the 500 home runs in order to get into the hall of fame. That's not the case. It's more the certainty that if you do, you will get in. That's been the flip side. Cause it's so hard to do. If a guy was with certainty, the best player of his era at his position, he's going to be in the hall of fame, no matter what his, you know, statistics end up getting to. But, yeah, I do think that given everything about Fred, I mean, there are guys, uh, I, I was trying to see if there was a predictor the way that the basketball reference mm-hmm. does it. That Baseball reference doesn't really do a predictor as much as they kind of have a quantitative score. I guess the best we can do it is, um, hang on a second, I'll pull up. What do you, you think, what is Freddie Freeman's career war? His career war is like, 52.4. Uh, okay, so that okay. alone is not... It typically means necessarily like Hall of Fame. Closer right. to 70. Now, for what it's worth, Fred McGriff, who had to wait a long time but is going to get in, 52.6. Mm-hmm. So it's not like that's... And, and again, we expect that number to go up still. We, we don't think Freddie Freeman's career is over, but will it go up exponentially? What's his war this season? Do you have that? Freddy's, yeah. yeah. Mm, I got Freddie's see. war this year. Yeah. That's... Mm-hmm. Uh, 3.2. 3.2. So yeah, that number is going up. Mm-hmm. And again, if we think there's five years left in his career, that number could go up. Yeah. Notably, it could go up, you know, into the 65, 70 range. And at that point, you'd be much more comfortable with 
you know, I'm trying to let's just say 68 for the sake of it. Pudge Rodriguez was 68.7. Tony Gwynn, as I laughed about all the time, was only 69.2, and we think of him as one of the greatest players in baseball history. And he was a career, I think a part of it, he was not a defensive player. You know, they, they had to put him in the outfield because you need his you didn't, Well, in the time, the National no League DH. didn't have a DH. Oh, right. yeah. So, like, they had to put him in the outfield, but he made it for he was, the bat. Yes, he was not a defensive player. He was a hitter. That's all he was. Career war 69.2. So, if Freddie Freeman can do this, be a four, five war player for another three seasons. He's got he's a good. shot. Yeah. He's good. I mean, like, I, he's not. He's not slam dunk first ballot, but he's good. He's in the Hall of Fame and and, right. could, and could still play his way into being a first ballot consideration. Mm-hmm. So that would be the more, I think, relevant part. And if that's the case, then I just don't think he'll feel the need to say, I got to get the 3,000 hits and yeah. stick around to try to force the issue. I mean, he's already accomplished a heck of a lot coming into yep, that. No doubt. Yeah. Altuve, I think, is a Hall of Famer. You know, like yeah. I, I, th- I think he still has some work to do. I agree with that. But I, you know, I think he's well on his way as well. He's I think MVP it's, and. Um and it, you know World Series too. Now again, the the question will be how do the writers yeah. handle the Astro scandal? And seems like a guy that eventually should get in though. Like, like the the awkwardness of the Altuve. Now he's only a career forty six point seven WAR. I'm surprised by that. How old is Altuve now? Uh, Altuve is thirty thirty three. Same age as Freddie. Hmm. So all right, maybe it's not as much of a slam dunk as I thought it was. No. Altuve needs. He's got a lot more work to do. Yeah. Oh yeah, like. That that one's far more fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at Nelson and Cruz too. I mean, Cruz probably isn't in. He's only got forty two career WAR, but he's at four hundred sixty four career home runs. So there's, a, but but he's yeah. already like forty. He's forty. He's gonna be forty th- uh, three in yeah. three days. Yeah, he's not days. gonna. Boy, I don't think there's a chance he's getting. The, I know. Yeah. Like, I don't every think time so. we think his it's numbers this year down tremendously. Every, but every time we think it's over for Nelson Cruz, he finds a hit. He, he, he right. finds a way. They were still starting to talk about that a decade ago, right? Yeah. And like here we are. Um, like he signed with the Orioles, we didn't think he would. Ever the Orioles didn't want to spend that. money. Yeah, on right. They were like, like yeah, did, forty it's, home runs. It's, it's over, and here we are. Let MLB. I don't think you get, but that would be another compelling argument. Mm-hmm. Like Nelson Cruz is on the fringe. Steroids would also be the difficult part for him. He's got yeah. that fifty like, game suspension. That that would be the type of thing that if they if if the voters if the voters didn't in their heart of hearts think that he deserved to be in the Hall of Fame, and he got the five hundred, they could use that as their justification to keep him out of the Hall of Fame and to say, yeah. We're not going to vote for Nelson Cruz. He's a known steroid user. I completely forgot about that. Tell you wouldn't. That's the last person. You well, would I mean, think it was, he was. Yeah, he. It was a big deal when the Orioles oh, yeah. signed him. There was that was part of it. It was a there was a huge like, hey, will how will the, the Nick Markakis's of the world treat Nelson Cruz as a yeah. steroid user? I was worried about it too when they signed well, him. And it, then, he's yeah. also maybe one of the nicest guys in the history oh, of baseball. Yeah. I mean, he's an incredible human being. Um, God, I always loved talking to Nelson Cruz. Yeah. He was always like so happy with we would call him. Like, <laughs> Oh, you're thinking of me. I'm like, Aww. yeah, I we did we do that a lot. Yeah. But, but I get it, he only played here for one year, you know. But he left his mark. Yeah, he sure did. All right, what else? Uh, besides Freddie Freeman, Ellie De La Cruz has got some rookie competition in the NL Central because the Pirates had uh their own young stalwart come up l- this past week and play his first week in MLB. A guy that I watched personally in double A Altoona a couple times, Mr. Henry Davis. Uh, number one overall pick from Louisville in 2021. Uh, went one for three in his major league debut on June 19th, and he's batting 250 to start. He's six for 24. Uh, his one lo- his lone home run and RBI came on June 22nd at Miami. Uh, the interesting thing that I see with this is he was drafted and developed as a catcher. And to start his major league career, he is 
Playing in right field. Right field, yeah, I saw that. Now, who is the Pirates catcher? They got two. They got Austin Hedges and Jason Delay, but I'm looking here. They're looking at the defense, and Austin Hedges is the best framing catcher in Major League Baseball right now. Okay. Strike rate is 52.5%. Delay is number nine. Well, I hate that. Uh, I, mean, I, mean, I, like, I just I hate, and I know it's a thing for Edley Rutschman, too. I just hate that framing is even a concept that exists in baseball, right. and, and hopefully we'll have robot umpires and we'll no longer ever dis- have to discuss the term framing ever again because it's... It, it I, and I, we are we are rewarding cheating. <laughs> like it's not actually, but the concept is you're trying to steal a result that actually didn't occur. And that's I just hate the fact that we have to talk about framing. But I get it. We do because it has been something that has mattered. Um, as an offensive player, I guess that's the yeah. that's the real question: is what kind of impact? Because it's much like the Adley Rutschman conversation when they selected Henry Davis so early. The question was, was he going to be good enough? And wasn't it the year after Adley Rutschman? Uh, a couple of years. It was two years afterwards? Yeah. Henry Rushman Davis was, was 2021. Yeah. He was 2019. Wow. I thought he was 2020. He was, yeah. That was the same year Kowser was. Right. Yeah, he was a few picks um, ahead of Kowser. But, but offensively, he's a good player. Is he a game changer? And if he's not a game changer, then is, he war- is the hype warranted for Henry right. Davis? I'm not so sure about that. I mean... It's 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 a tough call. I mean, he's it's, it's a difference. You know, one thing I've become begun to realize lately is you're called prospects for a reason. Mm-hmm. That's what you've done in the minors translate. I mean, hard hard hitting analysis. It is. I mean, I mean Adley's at that his success translated. I mean, you got Davis here. I'm. Well, he's in All right, for, he, for the for the record, Davis. Yes, it did hit ten home runs this season at the OB, AA level. OBP's four thirty three. And and that. You know that matters. There's no doubt about it, and that's high level. If that can continue to progress, that's going to be the question for Henry Davis. Because if he's not going to be a catcher, then he has to be an outstanding offensive player in order for the hype to have been warranted. Yeah. The question is, is it a short-term thing, and that they ultimately still see Davis as a catcher? But I do remember there being questions about that. I think like there's questions about that with every catcher, though. Like every time a catcher is a top prospect, they're like, there's uh, there's a yeah, conversation about whether or not they're right. <laughs> right. It's sort of like every time there's a shortstop, it's this type of. It's the same, like exact. It's obvious that Joey Ortiz was a shortstop because he was only thought of for his defense. He's actually through the system proven to be more of an offensive player than I think people gave him credit for. Um, whereas the flip side, when you have a highly skilled offensive shortstop, it almost always comes along with the conversation of. But are they really a shortstop at the major league Correct. level? I, I, you know, the Henry Davis, I don't. I, look, it's fascinating that the the Pirates chose to do it so soon. Right. Like that part is fascinating. That that felt early. Yeah. And they're not good. Right. Right. Like, like weird. Like O'Neill Cruz is obviously still hurt, and like he will probably won't be back until August. Yeah. And it's just it's kind but, of but it does what, seem like like what's uh, you could just have anybody play because it's not going to make you're not right, winning. Right. Like there's no reason to do this now. Is what the like the Orioles were a couple years ago. We got to figure this out now. We're putting it together. I but it's it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. When the Orioles caught up Adley Rutschman, our point was well, you could been down there for yeah, correct. You've been down there for forever. Three years. It's it's overdue. Davis was less than two years into his career. This yeah. this is not at all overdue. He yeah. played ten games at AAA. Right, and then Jeez. they called him up, and he hit and two eighty six. And if and the Pirates were really good. Up. And it, maybe part of the problem is it's complicated. The division is so bad that like 
no they do one, have a chance, maybe? No they, one believes yeah, they're out of it, right? Like, no one believes they couldn't win. And the Pirates seem to be, early in the season, on a trajectory of relevance, right? Like, we were talking about that yeah. when the Orioles played the Pirates, mm-hmm. that it was kind of an exciting series of a team that was young. And we were trying to... What the Reds are right now is what we were kind of trying to portray right. the Pirates as. A but, even I, but even I thought bringing Davis up after... Seven ten games was was quick, it's nuts. And especially yeah. it's it, nuts. after his injury history. He hasn't and it, had and a lot of minor league time either. And it's not it, now. You got to start his clock earlier. Mm-hmm. And again, I I get the argument about hey, you're trying to line it up with the talent that you already have, but it, it is it was wild. It was a wild decision for them to make. That after 118 minor league games, that's really quick. Yeah, it seems to be. I don't know about that. I mean, look, it, you know, we'll see how it plays out. If he if he helps them, and by next year they're right back into the mix, then they'll probably think that it was a great idea. Yeah. All right, and then anything else? Um, well, the Giants had a key game yesterday. Giants are trying to claw their way back into the wild card race in the National League West and trying to catch up to the really surprising Arizona Diamondbacks this season who've really put together a tremendous season. Um, costly base running mistake in the bottom of the eighth inning um, by, by Rule 5 pick Blake Sable really uh, hurt their chances at making that comeback. It was a... I was watching. I was watching yesterday. Um, I don't. I, I don't really, really know which way to go. I, I can see how it's a tough read for Sable, but bottom eight. You have the tying run at first. It's first to second. It's a weird dribbling ground ball down the third base line that Longoria took a back. Evan Longoria's third base for the Diamondbacks. Now he took a weird angle to it. Kind of looked like he was running down the left field line to go get it because that's how soft of a dribbler it was, or how weird of a bounce it took. Um, hitter gets an infield hit. Runner stops at third. Sable's blasting for third. And now you look up, you got two guys standing on third. Sable, again, is the tying run, 4-2, bottom of the eighth inning. And now you got Sable picked off. He gets picked off. Diamondbacks add another run at the top of the ninth, and they come away with a 5-2 win. And that's that's a tough blow if you're Blake Sable. Rookie, rule five okay. pick. Okay. But, um... And, and and that's certainly not helping the Giants' case. I know they've been getting hot lately, but it's certainly right. not helping their case. That one wasn't that one when we do uh, this week and uh, the rest of baseball next. That one wasn't worth it, but that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. We learn, we get, we improve, mm-hmm. we get better. Just well, recapping, it was a, it was a boneheaded play there from Blake yeah, Sable. So it's not, had really, it right. not really worthy of the discussion. That's okay. It's okay. Started strong. Started strong. We'll improve moving forward. All right. All right. Good effort, Grant. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. That's uh, this week in the rest of baseball. Uh, with our guy Grant DeVivo. All right, let's get a tidbit. Tidbit is brought to you today by your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Uh, L.A. De La Cruz did hit for the cycle. Oh, are we doing Immaculate uh, Grid today, by the way? Well, we that's not something we're going to do on the show every day, Griff. We'll replace it with Tidbit. That's I went, right. oh, God, I, was, I, I played yesterday. I was eight for eight. And it was the top, the first corner. It was. I play. I didn't. I forgot to play yesterday. God, what would it, it would have been? Cincinnati, Houston. I think was the one. Somebody who played for both the Reds and the Astros. I don't know why, but I thought beyond. I thought Pete and Cavilia had played for both teams. Mm, and mm, it was the last on. one. I was eight for eight. I was killing it, and I was really worried because I I saw Giants Pirates, and I of course said Barry Bonds. And the next one was Pirates, and I think uh, MVP. And I was like, oh piss. <laughs> Did I waste? And then I was like, wait a second. There are pirates. Other, other pirates did that have won MVP. Everyone, no. uh, yeah, he I think one. he did, he yeah. yeah. I think he did. I went with yeah. Dave Parker. Uh, I went yes. with Dave Parker on I, that I, one. But I was like panicked at first. I'm I, like, wait a second. Did they screw me? Was there only one pirate? And then I'm like, I, I bet Roberto Clemente was probably an MVP at some point. Willie Stargell might have been an MVP. 
Like I, I, I was, I was panicked for no reason. Yeah, I, 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 was I 2013. played thirteen. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah, I played Saturday night, and like my second guess, I got wrong, and I was like, Son Yeah, that is that is crushing. And then I went like perfect the rest of the way. Oh, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It doesn't, well, it doesn't mean crap. <laughs> By the way, here are all of the MVPs, and but there's a bunch of them. Clemente, I was right. Parker, Star, Willie Stargell, of course, was MVP in '79 when they. Uh, beat somebody in the World Series. Uh, Bonds was a two-time MVP in Pittsburgh. And then uh, McCutcheon. Also, uh, Dick Groat in 1960. Mm. Which is unfortunate. Uh, yes. And Paul Wehner Dick in Groat. 1927. All have been uh, MVP winners with the Pirates. And I... Uh, yeah, it's on me. Also, uh, I, you know what I, You know what one I was nervous about is the bottom corner was, f- I think, 30, sto- 30 stolen bases and league MVP. Was the bottom corner, and I was like, and so I went with Ricky Henderson, but I didn't remember if Ricky Henderson had ever been MVP. I just felt like should have been him. Yeah, yeah, I, I got it. Was it. Right. I was good. Good, good job. Good well done. Well I don't fun. know what year Ricky Henderson was MVP. Ellie uh, Dela Cruz did hit for the cycle on Friday night. Uh, he became the seventh player, the seventh youngest player to do so, uh, or I guess I should rephrase that. He's the seventh player since 1901 to do so before turning 22. He did it on my birthday. Oh, wow. Uh, he probably thought about that, good, too. Yes, yeah. good, good birthday present to Grant. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I was going to obviously ask you who the youngest guys are, but you'd never get them. Mel Ott was the youngest to ever. You think I wouldn't wow. have gotten Mel Ott? Well, he's the only one you would have got. Other guys on this list, Arky Vaughn. Oh, Arky. Yeah. Cliff Heathcote. Sure. Yes, and Cesar Cedinho. These are definitely yes. names I've heard of yes. before, yes. 1,000%. Ask me no follow-up questions. I thought you were about to say Cesar Astores for some reason. That would be Cesar well. That would have been, yeah, yeah. at 21 yeah. years old. Right. <laughs> Uh, Florida did tie up the College World That's Series right. yesterday. They scored 24 Lord. runs in the process. Most runs in any men's College World Series game ever, 24. And weren't, and weren't they down 3 nothing early? Uh, I wasn't paying attention, unfortunately. I, we had it on yesterday. in the studio, and I like looked up, and I was like, oh, man. Because I was, already, like, thinking, yeah, it looks like I was already thinking about the possibility of a rainout tonight, and that was like, well, uh, like, I oh, want game then I'll watch the College three. World Series game. And then I looked up and they were down three. I'm like, oh, we might not get a College World Series game. Yeah, they eked it out. Yes. They eked out a comeback. <laughs> Most home runs in a finals game ever was six. Yeah. Uh, largest win margin in a finals game ever, plus 20. They won 24 to 4. And inside the record for the most hits in any College World Series game with 23. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Florida, Florida. Hopefully they saved a little bit for tonight, I guess, uh, would be the only hope. Uh, uh, who you got tonight, Glenn? Um, who's pitching? Uh, is Skeens pitching? That's the real question. Yeah, yeah it depends on who's pitching. If Skeens right, is pitching, then I'll go LSU. If he's not, then I'll go for Because that pitching battle on what was it, Thursday night was ridiculous. And like they never announce pitch in college baseball, like they never like they play poker right. as long as they can possibly play poker. Like the night before when everybody knew it was gonna be the louder Skeens matchup in the the second Wake Forest game. Jack Caglione will start for Florida. Okay. And then LSU is TBA. Yeah. <laughs> per usual is TBA. So is if it, the articles. It it comes <laughs> if it's Skeens. Yeah, their coach is Jay Johnson. He like never says anything. Right. If it's Skeens, they so this is a NOLA.com sports website. They they do think it will be Skeens, but obviously nothing has been confirmed. Okay, they think I, it will be. Then Skeens. I'll assume LSU. Okay, yeah. all right. I'm rooting, I'm gonna root for Florida uh, for what reason? Derek Fabian, brother of Judd Fabian, is on a is oh, on the Florida. Oh, I wow, didn't realize okay. that. All right, Derek, so we go can go with, with that. I'll go Florida. Uh, in that one, the okay. Rockies they did win their weekend series with the Angels. Not before they, of course, got 25 run uh, by <laughs> by uh, by by the Angels, or yes, by the Angels. But the minus 20 run differential for the series is the second largest negative run differential for a team to win a series in MLB history. 
Last time, I'm last not really time, surprised by that. 20, yeah, last time we had a negative twenty was a uh, 1897. The Louisville Colonels. Ah, they keep that, finding their way into oh the tidbits. God, yeah, that was gonna be that was gonna be my next guest. They won a series with a minus twenty three run differential. Okay, so there is. If did you see this video that was going around about Paul Skeens? Uh, maybe. No. Okay, so I didn't. I, I did not. I don't know what game it was. Probably from a game against uh, Tennessee, so we would not have been watching mm-hmm. it. It wasn't during the World Series, but. Um, What's he oh doing? Is God. he like doing blow on the mound? No, I want to send it to you. one guy that was doing that. It's from a broadcast. Oh, okay, I see. And it's like they're describing him. Hang on, I'm emailing it to you right now. All right, all right. And the tweet that was going around just said, oh, God. It just said, sounds like a massive effing D-bag. Sounds. TBH. And I was like, huh? And so then I hit play, and I was like, oh, I get it. So you got. I sent you a sports Kita link. You got to scroll down a little bit. Um, and there's a... Twitter video in it. Did you Sports get the link? Kita. I do have the link. Okay, now open it I up. Scrolling. Scroll. There'll be a tweet from Big okay, Content Guy. That's a video. All right, right. And listen to this. This guy is a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. not. Maybe not here. Mm-hmm. Paul Skeens, Kate Belosa was sharing with us that Skeens goes around the locker room looking at teammates, pointing at him and saying, "I outworked you. I outworked you. I outworked you." Pretty much every single day. We said, well, is it like funny and guys are laughing about it? He said, no, he's not joking. He works that hard. But it is still kind of funny. Yeah, like it's funny to, is it? Is it funny? Imagine just having some hardo walk around the clubhouse. I see. Yeah, I wouldn't, I, like, I wouldn't want that. Your teammates are the dude and he just walks better around. You, every day. I'm better, better than you. I work harder than you. Than you. I'll outwork you. Like, dude, you just want to punch the guy. Sounds now, like, look, I get like, it. You're going to get drafted high. I get it. For what it's worth, like he's, you. he's really good. I'll take a really good psychopath on my team. Right. Like, culture matters, but winning matters more. And as we were talking about with Ryan O'Hearn. Well, the Nationals made it work with Scherzer. So, you yeah, know there's things. plenty of psychopaths oh, geez, that have yeah. had lots of success in this sport. I'm not – psychopath does not mean I can't have you on my team. He's really good. But, dude, that's not – Jonathan when they're, when they're trying to force the issue, well, that one became poisonous. Like, oh, that was geez. a psychopath that you couldn't have on your team. He was a real psychopath. Um, but, like, to a to an, a point, I would the, the amount of eye-rolling that would be going on, the amount of, like, if I was in a clubhouse with that dude, I'd just be, bro, get lost, man. <laughs> like, I can't wait not, till you get drafted out of here. Yeah, yeah and but some psychopath, you, you need an amount of psychopath. I think more yeah, in football. Right. Like I think there's an appreciation for psychopath in football. Like, like kind of like wide receivers in football. Have but that's to a be... different. That's a diva thing. Like yeah. I'm talking about the wanting the, the football though. The like... hardo that loses his mind. Yeah, some people would say that Ray Lewis was this guy, right? Like I think that that I I will tell you. Where's Jameis Winston? I brought I brought it up with a few guys when we were doing the uh, 10th anniversary of the Super Bowl. But there was a game where Anquan Bolden, who was very reserved, he was not, but he just lost it. Like lost it. Put the fear of God. I want to say it was a Cincinnati game. They were struggling at the half, and he lit everyone up. I mean, I started getting messages about it the next day. Like, dude, we've never heard anything like this. Like, guys were – coaches were terrified, terrified of him. And, like, I got along with Anquan, so I was like, that's weird. Like, he's just not that guy. But I started talking to people about it, and they were like, we didn't even – we weren't mad about it. We probably deserved it. Like, we kind of needed that. Sometimes in football, you need that kind of hardo. You need someone. But in baseball, dude, like it's 162 games, man. Like, 
imagine somebody before one game just getting in your face like you working harder than me i don't think so you working harder than me. Like, they're probably like you only pitch every fifth day it's college you only pitch every seventh day right, dude. bro like, come like on. jesus we got a thousand games to play this season <laughs> you gotta chill you gotta ease up what is that Again, not saying I He's wouldn't probably, want to But he probably, you're probably right, though, LSU probably will win because that guy, Ty Floyd, had 17 strikeouts Saturday night. Oh, okay. And so he's going to be like, that, that, I gotta, bass, yeah, that Yeah, I got to beat that guy 100%. <laughs> 18s right? on the Well, on he the, broke the Ben McDonald's record already. Correct, yes. Yeah, he broke oh, wow. Ben McDonald's yeah. record last week. Yeah, yes. I can see that. Uh, Mike Trout, Brandon Drury, and Matt Theis, they all hit back-to-back-to-back home runs uh, on that you know that 25-to-1 game mm-hmm. on three straight pitches, by the way. Oh, three straight that. pitches back-to-back off of uh, the Rocky starter Chase Anderson. The last time a team... I saw that. Hit three home runs on three straight pitches was, was the Yankees in September 2020. Ah, good guys. Yeah. I like it when we can I like it when we can right. highlight the New York uh, uh, Yankees. But it was against the Blue Jays. They just don't get enough attention. It was so against I'm glad the Blue that we Jays can give them a also little. pitching Chase Anderson. Well, how about that? Yeah, I remember that. I saw <laughs> that. That was funny. <laughs> oh boy. Uh Mookie Betts hit another leadoff home run last night in the Dodgers game, his eighth of the season, which is far and away the most of the season. Next close is Schwarber, who has four leadoff home runs. Uh, he also now has 44 career leadoff home runs, uh, which ties him for eighth all time uh, with this Oriole. Brady Anderson. Brady Anderson, indeed. Can you name the top seven? I know Most Springer's one of them. Springer is, is of second, course, 55, right? Correct. That is correct. George Others. Springer, um, 55 Ricky. career leadoff. Yes, Ricky Henderson, number one, 81 uh, career is leadoff Br- Is Brady runs. on this list? He's Well, he's tied with Mookie. So, but there's... there's Brady Anderson? Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. So, yeah. what, but you wanted what? Top seven. So the the guys ahead of Mookie no, uh, ahead and Brady. Of thank you. That's yes. what I was trying to figure yes. out. All right, thank you. Uh, Altuve. Altuve is not on this list. Okay. Oh wow. Um, how about? Boy, these aren't guys that you think of as home run hitters, but no. I'll still say Ichiro. Uh, not Ichiro. Ichiro is he has 37. That's so a good like guess. Though. Top 10. Craig Biggio. Craig Biggio is indeed in the top seven here. He has 53 career leadoff home runs. I'll throw a wild, I'll throw a wild one out there. Is Jeter on the? Jeter is not on the list. Jeter he has, didn't lead off a lot. He has 29 leadoff. Home I runs. always remember him as a leadoff. That's more than I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. more than I thought he would have had. Because when I started following ball, Jeter was always yeah. a leadoff hitter. That's what I always. That's that was like the tail about end of it. Jimmy Rollins. Oh, that's a, yeah. Jimmy he, Rollins is an excellent guess, and he is indeed okay. two ahead of Mookie Betts. Oh, 46. That's a good one. Leadoff home runs for Jimmy Rollins. Mm. Like I don't, you think of the classic leadoff hitters. Like I don't think it's uh, Maury Wills. He just didn't hit home runs. I don't think it's Vince Coleman. Just wasn't a home run hitter. That's why I didn't I mean, say hell. I'll throw, but just throw those names out there and tell me they're I'm, not. Yeah, they're that's not. what I thought. Yes, they're not. That's what I thought. <laughs> that's why I didn't say like Jim Morgan or something like that. But Jim Morgan was a home run hitter, but. He's not, um, I wouldn't think, a, yeah. Altuve uh, had 33, by the way. Leave off home runs. He's creeping in. Kenny Lofton, I don't think so. Not Kenny Lofton. Damn. Uh, okay. Ian Kinsler. Ian Kinsler is, in fact, yeah, on this list. In fact, 48. Now I'm thinking that we might have done this once upon. Not with you. I'm thinking I feel that. I like I might have. I don't oh, know. Okay. But, but yeah, it's a, you know, it's, a good li- it's a good list. I don't remember who the others list. are, though. Uh, they both played for the Yankees. Oh man! Uh, at you know, at some point. Well, so did everybody else. <laughs> did he play for? Uh, oh, um, Jacoby Ellsbury. Not Jacoby Ellsbury. Brett Gardner. Uh, not Brett Gardner. Did Johnny Damon hit leadoff at all? Or? Mm, that's no, good. No, that would make sense. Not Johnny Damon. 
One played for the also known for playing. One played for the Tigers. One played for the Curtis Cubs. Granderson's got to be one of them. Uh, yeah, it's oh, a good one. Curtis Granderson, good one. forty-seven career. Once you said Tigers, and you said yeah. the other one played for the Cubs. Yes, Soriano. Alfonso Soriano, yeah. third most. But you just don't think of him runs. as a leadoff homer, yeah. no, a leadoff hitter, because he was very much a middle of the order hitter for most of his career. Right outside the uh, top seven or eight that we did as well. Shinsu Chu, thirty-six, ah, okay. okay, leadoff home right. runs. Just a fun. I like that. Very like good, that. very good. All right, uh, tubular brought to you by PressBoxOnline.com/offers. Of course, right now we're offering new sports bettors the best sign-up bonuses and promos from the seven legal online sports books in the state of Maryland. Go to PressBoxOnline.com offers right now and get offers up to $150 in bonus bets from DraftKings after you place your first $10 bet or up to $1,250 in bonus bets from Caesars. Time is limited to get the best offers from all of the legal sports books here in the state of Maryland. Go to PressBoxOnline.com offers and sign up today. Can we are... Hoping that there will be a baseball game tonight, but not feeling great about it. If there is, Reds-Orioles on Masson, Brandon Williamson, and Cole Irvin is the pitching matchup. As we mentioned, the other big thing tonight, Game 3 of the College World Series, the deciding Game 3 on ESPN between LSU and Florida. That's at 7 o'clock. Um, if the Orioles don't play, enjoy maybe some of these other baseball games, like Masson 2's got Nationals-Mariners at 9.30. ESPN Plus is Brewers-Mets at 7. MLB Network Twins-Braves at 7. White Sox-Angels at 10. TNT, you never miss it. The NHL Awards at 8 o'clock. Um, now, who's 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 hosting the NHL Awards? Did they get, like, I'm, I'm sure a major a major like star. I'm sure Amy Schumer hosting the NHL Awards, maybe? or Oh, wow. Oh, yeah? That's a country music star, Dirks Bentley. That makes... T- when, when I think... About the National Hockey League, the first thing I think of is Dirk Bentley. Yeah, right. uh, anyway, that's tonight at 8 o'clock. They could give a Best Actor Award there, like for whoever takes like the shot the, in order to, to, to start a fight or something oh, like gotcha. that. They yeah, could do yeah. that. Uh, right. Gold Cup continues. Ooh, what a stinker on Saturday night. The USA just having to squeak out a draw against Jamaica. Yuck. Yeah, well, Yuck. They, did they were... Get they, the points, they, baby. They... they, they uh, B.J. Callahan saying at halftime that he thought they were the aggressors. Like I understand the argument, but Damn. Jamaica was on the front foot a lot yeah. too. Like they, there was a lot of action in that match. There was a lot of pushing. There was not a lot of midfield. But like, I I think the U.S. were had more of the aggressiveness. But you know, ugh, ugh, ugh. they got a big goal later. Else that would have been an a complete yeah. disaster. I mean, it's a completely different team than what we were watching last week. Well, yeah, week, I mean, it's so. like a D-level, yeah. C-level team. It's rough. Uh, tonight, El Salvador and Martinique at 6.30, Costa Rica Matt, and Panama Matt Turner saving the penalty, though. Yeah. What's that? Matt Turner saving that penalty, though. Oh, yeah, that outstanding. Was... No question. No question. Uh, that's tonight, Fox Sports 1. CBS Sports Network for the Indiana Fever and Las Vegas Aces at 10. USA Network for WWE Monday Night Raw tonight at 8. Some non-sports highlights. American Ninja Warrior, of course, on NBC. And it is, of course, the season 20 premiere of The Bachelorette on ah, NBC. Can't miss that. At 9 o'clock tonight. Um, that's, that's there we nice. go. Yeah. That's what we got for you. Very good. If you haven't watched last night's Gemstones yet, you can watch that tonight. It was excellent. All right. Grant, where are you on social? Instagram, I got 20G DeVivo. That's 20G D E V I V O. That's what I use primarily the most. Uh, you can find me on t- Twitter and, and Facebook, which I don't log on to a lot. Um, okay, then Facebook's don't worry about it. <laughs> it's not worth it. Instagram. 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 Good. Thanks today to Ryan O'Hearn. Thanks also to Spencer Horowitz, to Jeremy Kahn, and to Mo Egger. We'll get all of it up in the greatest hits section of the. Oh my God, it's so good. Tab at glennclarkradio.com. Anything tomorrow? 
Stuff and thing. All right. Big way to start the week. Stuff and thing. Good show today. You had a good show today. You're right. Thanks to everybody at Pressbox, all of our great sponsors and partners, including Live Casino and Hotel Maryland, Glory Days Grill, the Bowie Bay Sox, Royal Farms, Costas Inn, All-American Lacrosse, the Baltimore Orioles, Birdland Sports, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Thanks to Griffin at Griffin underscore Bass. Follow us, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great Monday evening. Go Birds if they play. Duke sucks.